Welcome to BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, and I'm joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 DAZN and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. We are the BAMS crew, and we are glad to be a part of the Bama Sports Radio family. Another really big two-hour show coming up for you tonight. We'll be hearing from John Garcia of uh, Scout.com and BamaMag.com on all the recruiting developments going on, including possibly a record amount of five stars uh, under one stadium set of lights this Saturday night in Tuscaloosa when OSU comes calling, as well as some uh, recent offers and some decommitments and several things that could affect the 2016 Alabama class. Uh, We will also hear from Big Head Chuck, who will be catering uh, with his Big Head's Barbecue, the BAMS radio tent, for one final time. This Saturday, he's going to hang it up after the OSU game, unfortunately, for us. But uh, he has another fundraiser in the works, so he'll be telling us about that. And uh, we'll hear from our regular caller, Colin Big C. McGuire. Uh, He'll be joining us uh, at the end of the show, probably about the last 10 minutes. And we've got a couple of other guests as well. Uh, Thomas, I believe we're going to be joined by someone from Touchdown, Alabama. That's correct. Uh, my boss, actually, the editor, Brandon Williams, he's going to come on and uh, bust out a little bit of exciting news as well as tell us what's going on at the magazine. And then Drew has got a guest uh, lined up from Baton Rouge for Hour 2, I believe. Yes, uh, Ross Dellinger, of uh, the advocate in Baton Rouge, will be joining us at 9.05. Right, so we have a full 120 minutes for you. Maybe we can go over a few minutes, depending on how long-winded Big C is when he calls it uh, – 10 before 10 Eastern time. But, uh, well, the uh, national whining is at perhaps an all-time high. Uh, If you thought the whining about the botched calls in the Miami-Duke game was bad, where do you see the whining about the top four from the playoff committee? And I don't know if it's too early in the show or not for a rant, but, uh, Drew, have you seen this much pissing and moaning about a poll in recent years? Not really all that worried about it. It doesn't mean a damn thing. Um, you know, right now it's the first one. Uh, Alabama's got a win day in, uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, they've got to step it up and uh, beat the number two team in LSU. And uh, if they do that, uh, then, they'll, then they'll stay in the conversation. If not, it'll be a moot point. So everybody can piss and moan and all they want and talk about how Alabama doesn't deserve to be there. Um, but I, I can tell you this, uh, the University of Alabama uh, deserves to be above Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame, I don't think their schedule was even comparable to Alabama's. They're number five. Obviously, the committee uh, has not done, you know, it does not really value right now the Big 12 and the Big 10. They're going to wait and see how those conferences shake out, but both of them I think they think are considerably weaker than the SEC, Thomas Watts. Uh, I think at this point you're absolutely right. And, and I actually have a little more detailed rant because okay, go ahead. This, uh, this whole thing drives me nuts. I'm sorry. Look, the thing with the BCS, the reason, one of the reasons I will, you will never convince me otherwise that the BCS went away is because there are a lot of sports writers out there that if you mention the quadratic equation or an exponential function, that sports writer's head will explode. And it's really, really hard 
to rally the troops, rally the morons to attack a system when you can't understand what the system's happening. So we couldn't have the BCS where at least we had some transparency with the mathematical formulas and the voting ranks. So we built this new thing, this playoff thing, where 14 people get into a room with metrics that I don't know what they have. It's never been published. Some of the some of their process has been published kind of sort of ish. So we go through this new process that is even more black box than the old process and people pissed off about the black box. You know, pardon my French, but what the hell do you people want? It's just like you knew this was going to happen. And then the next part of it, I read people saying that the brand names in college football are having are being are given unfair bias by the college football playoff committee. Now I'm sorry, maybe I didn't sleep through Econ 101, but when the 800 pound gorillas in the room get together to decide how to distribute money or distribute food, in, you know, going with the gorilla metaphor, distribute food, the 800 pound gorillas are going to get the majority. You know, when I've in my mind. Isn't that American to a certain extent? To complain about that shows an amount of naivety that if you're going to legitimately call yourself a journalist, just stop. Tuesday night was absolutely hilarious. It is comedic gold every week because, oh my God, let's twist ourselves into knots trying to attack a system that we don't understand. We can't understand because the process has never been completely detailed, and it never will be. But we opted into this system because we couldn't understand the previous one. You changed one black box for another black box, and it's still the same amount of BS. It doesn't matter. Oh, my God, get twisted into knots over something that matters. Get mad about the Miami Duke thing, which actually completely undermines some of football. But this thing? Shut up and move on. It's easy with this rankings up until December the 6th. And guys, here's the segue of all segues. We're going to take a quick break because we've got to sell some stuff. We'll be right back on BAMS Radio. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym, during your commute, Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, as well as business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android devices, and Windows phones. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you weren't happy with for another title, anytime, no questions asked. If you know about me, all the stuff I do with Two Deep Zone and BAMS Radio, as well as being a full-time graduate student, I'm a busy guy. Audible.com lets me grab a book and listen on the go where I'm commuting to and from class or in between classes. And just today, if you go to audible.com slash Bama, you get a free trial. That's a good rant. I'll I, I tell you what, I, I probably would have had Alabama about six. But here's the thing. 
if Alabama wins this Saturday, they're going to be in the Final Four no matter what, you know, the one that comes out next week. LSU may or may not stay in it. Was it was it smart coming out this week when so many big games are coming up this weekend? Probably should have waited another week on the poll. Probably should have had Alabama about sixth. But the thing is, they're looking, Thomas, at not only computer formulas, but I think they go around the room and say, would Alabama beat Baylor? Yep. Would Alabama beat TCU? Yep. Well, then let's put Alabama fourth. I think that's kind of how they discuss it. I think it's weird to have a committee where someone is allowed to retire that was basically your tie-breaking vote, and I'm talking about Pat Hayden of USC. Well, so Pat now you Hayden, could have it, seven. Pat Hayden never deserves a sit on the committee anyway. The dude's okay. presently running the USC athletic department into the ground. So, you know, that's probably a mercy killing. He's, he's among the worst coach hires of all time in all sports. But, uh, you know, they yeah, I think they came out a little early, and I think they might have had Alabama ranked a little high, but they're projecting. I think what they're saying when they put Alabama four is they think Alabama's probably going to win out. And if Alabama wins out, Alabama's going to be there in the end. I've, I've heard these people – I heard this long whining rant on a Birmingham station today about, oh, you two lost Ole Miss. If they're the SEC champion, they're going ahead of Alabama. I'm sorry, but the committee's already said conference championships matter. Well, the committee made a pretty big statement by putting Alabama four. That's all. That's, it, it's not just brand name. But I think that might be 10% of it. I think they went around the room, Drew, and you can react to this, and just said, would Alabama beat so-and-so? Yes. Would Alabama beat so-and-so? Yes. Well, then let's put them number four. So, you know, while I would have probably had them six, four is not like – it's it's not Armageddon. It's like, you know, Alabama is a top-five team in this country right now. Four, maybe one high, but whatever. It's If they win Saturday, it don't matter. They will be there anyway, correct or not. Well, you know, if they win Saturday, yeah, I mean, they're going to be squarely in the mix. I said they would put themselves in strong position in the first poll. I thought it would be uh, sixth or seventh. Of course, I thought Notre Dame was too high. Um, you know, now I had to listen to Michael Wilbon talk about how good Temple is and uh, from the American uh, Conference and how they, you know, they almost beat uh, Notre Dame. And, of course, uh, Memphis did beat Ole Miss badly. Uh, and I understand those are pretty two pretty good football teams, I guess, but – and then he was trying to lot Notre Dame's uh, victory over Virginia, which had to happen on the last play. In Virginia, uh, yeah, they, they're a lower-tier team in the ACC with a six-year coach who's about to get his butt fired. Uh, they're not very good at all, and they took Notre Dame to the brink. Um, you know, all I know is Alabama's played a great schedule. Uh, you know, Michael Wilbon's take was that they played Louisiana Monroe and Middle Tennessee State. But let me tell Michael Wilbon something. Middle Tennessee State would probably beat Virginia, okay? So you can talk up Virginia all you want. The ACC is a Mickey Mouse league. It's a uh, it's a bunch of pansies. They couldn't hold up. Georgia Tech beats Florida State, and now we'll see if Clemson can handle being number one. Clemson has never been able to handle it under Dabo Sweeney. I don't think they will be able to do it. I think they'll slip up somewhere. They didn't play great football against NC State. It's not nearly the gauntlet that the SEC is. And uh, I think uh, Will Bond, who is an excellent journalist, but he was trying to basically poo-poo the SEC. The SEC is a meat grinder. The Big Ten is a joke. The ACC is a joke. The Big 12 wouldn't know defense if it, if they looked at it. I mean, they might as well play flag football. So 
and uh, the bottom line is the Big 12 will get one in if the Oklahoma State, Baylor, uh, TCU, uh, or one, or even, may, Oklahoma would have a small chance, but the loss to Texas basically eliminates them because Texas is a joke. So the bottom line is if one of the three – Oklahoma State, Baylor, or TCU goes undefeated, they're going to get in. If they all beat each other, they're not. And they don't deserve to because that league is not nearly the, the meat grinder as is the SEC. It's just a fact. And the national media can go stick it because I can't it – just it's one of those things where you have, to, you have to trust your eyes. And the SEC teams are just better than most of these other leagues. And the Pac-12, unfortunately, has had a bad year where they don't have a dominant football team. They better hope Stanford doesn't slip up again, but I'm afraid they will. I think they're going to get shut out of the playoff. Well, I think the SEC has four teams that could beat pretty much anybody in the country on a given day. Uh, maybe not Ohio State every time they played them, but there's four teams in the SEC that would beat just about anybody. The SEC, all the talk about the SEC being down and all that, that was a bunch of bull crap because the SEC is just fine. They just eat their own, and that's that's the nature of the beast. So uh, I guess the biggest question I've got is if Ole Miss wins out and they've got two losses, one of them two would, could still be an unbeaten Memphis and Alabama wins out, would they take them both? I'm start, I don't really know what the committee would do there because they, they seem to like to emphasize conference championships. Two losses, Ole Miss won't make it. I think the SEC in that scenario would probably be the odd man out. And there was one really good point from one of the ESPN talking heads whose name escapes me. If Alabama wins out, and they, they'll probably go to two next week ahead of Ohio State, and But what do they do from there? The back end of Alabama's schedule is such that the uh, it's not as strong as, say, like an LSU or a TCU or a Baylor. It just isn't. Alabama's schedule was middle-loaded. So does Alabama go down as they ostensibly keep winning? Or on that last week, does what happened to TCU last year happen to Alabama where they were three the week before conference championship week and then they get bumped by, I don't, I, I, I don't even know who. It's too hard to project forward. But it, there, that was one point that came out where I was like, okay, I, I can, I understand where that's coming from. But most of this stuff is much ado about nothing right now. I agree with Thomas, and the way I look at it is, is that, um, you know, I, I think if Alabama, the Alabama fans are kind of giddy because they're fourth. But if Ole Miss does not lose another game, Alabama's not going to the playoff. Does, it, it, the only way they're going to do that is if they better hope all these uh, uh, Big 12 teams eat each other up and that the Pac-12 and Stanford loses. And they could try to get two in the, from the SEC because the bottom line is they need Ole Miss to lose to get to Atlanta to play the extra game and have a chance to beat the Gators. Otherwise, the winner of the Gators, if they run the table and beat FSU, and then, and then obviously Ole Miss. If Ole Miss – or to win the SEC championship, depending on how the there, – there has to be a lot of things, several factors with the Big 12 and the Pac-12. They would have a slight chance to get in the playoff as SEC champion, but they, I, they would have to hope Memphis was undefeated. And really – and then, of course, uh, beating the Gators again and uh, splitting with them. But, again, I think right now if you have a one-loss Florida team and then a two-loss Ole Miss in, in Atlanta – I think uh, if Florida wins, they're in the playoff. If Ole Miss wins, they're going to be nervous. Uh, but even if Alabama has one, I think it's going to be tough for them to make the playoff. Alabama just needs to hope every week 
uh, the Arkansas fans this week. They were Auburn fans last week, some some of the Alabama fans. I know it was tough, but I know some were slightly rooting for Auburn. But they need to hope the Hogs step up this weekend. And if not, then either LSU or Mississippi State and then just keep winning because they need Ole Miss to lose. I'll be interested to see how Arkansas's power running game affects the Ole Miss defense because the Ole Miss defense, because of either injuries or inconsistency, has been great and then terrible this year, and there's been no in-between. I think history says, and uh, we'll give Thomas time to uh, get our next guest on the line, but history says that uh, Ole Miss is going to choke at some point, Drew, but we don't know it for a fact. Uh, Is there a chance Arkansas could beat them? Maybe one out of five. Is there a chance LSU could beat them? I think maybe three out of five. Uh, Is there a chance State could beat them? Well, it's in Starkville. And Freeze has found ways to lose games there before when he had better uh, players. So probably two out of five. So there, I mean, there, there's definitely some chances for him to lose games, but I mean, we can't count on it till it happens. History and logic and and knowing what an idiot Freeze is, all, all that you know plays into it. Uh, justice for all the cheating that plays into it, uh, but we can't know for sure if or when Ole Miss is going to lose. If and when they do lose and Alabama wins out, the picture or LSU wins out, the picture is crystal clear, and, and the SEC will be fine. But there is a scenario, you guys are both right, there is a scenario where the SEC could be left out, and that would be a lot of egg on the face of the conference. Well, yeah, it really would. But uh, I think, obviously, uh, that would <laughs> you would have to blame Ole Miss for that, for slipping up against Memphis. But – Again, right now, Ole Miss is just going to try to take care of their own business and be the biggest Memphis fans there is because they need to continue to move up and stay unbeaten uh, for Ole Miss to stay relevant in the conversation. But, again, what Alabama needs is just if Ole Miss loses and Alabama wins out, they're fine. Uh, they'll have, All they have to do is take care of business in Atlanta against a really good opponent. Uh, but, again, we will see. I mean, Alabama, first they've got to beat a very fine LSU team Saturday. They do, and – Let's talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm uh, only going to be able to do an hour of this show tonight, so I want to go ahead and throw my prediction out there while we wait on John. But uh, I'm thinking Alabama wins, Drew, something in the neighborhood of about 24 to 17. Well, that's my exact prediction myself. Uh, I picked Alabama to win 24-17. I think their defense is elite. I think uh, LSU's is good, uh, but I still can't get over the fact Kevin Steele, I think uh, Alabama should be able to – uh, I think of the, the Lane Kiffin should be able to outcoach Kevin Steele. If he can't, then he has issues. I can outcoach Kevin Steele. Let's yeah, just put that to bed. Yeah, they they they, they should be able to. I mean, their secondary has been struggling. I think Alabama's offense uh, really has is starting to play much better. They're starting to utilize OJ Howard. Uh, we saw the step forward definitely of our Darius Stewart, Calvin Ridley, and of course Derrick Henry. The wild card, how will they utilize Kenyon Drake? Will we see Bo Scarborough? Uh, it looks like all the injured guys are going to be back. Dominic Jackson's slated to start at right tackle. Uh, Ronnie Harrison returns. Eddie Jackson, uh, we knew he was uh, should be okay and be good to go. So uh, it should be a heck of a matchup. Uh, LSU's O-line uh, has been uh, one of the most dominant in the country, but they haven't faced a front seven like Alabama's. It's a fascinating matchup. Reggie Ragland and and uh, Reuben Foster playing tremendous football. And let's see if Alabama can contain Leonard Fournette. They held him to 79 last year. He's a year better. Uh, but this defense is better than the one he saw last year as well. 
Sorry, guys. I'm still efforting to get in touch with John. He hasn't called us in yet. Uh, Drew, I just wanted to comment on that briefly. Yeah, go ahead. I said it on your show, and I'm going to say it again. The key to me is, does the Alabama front seven stop Leonard Fournette with only seven in the box? If they do that, the play-action stuff that Brandon Harris has been feasting on is not going to be there. Okay, it's going to be there, but it's not going to be this play-action, have 10 seconds in the pocket to make a ham sandwich and then throw a touchdown. So if you stop Fournette, you really do stop the LSU offense. The statistics are pretty ridiculous. He has something like 65% of all of the uh, offensive production for the Tigers. And is it a tall task for the Alabama defense to stop Leonard Fournette with uh, just the seven? Yeah, it's a tall task for any defense. But if there's one group that can do it, out of the entire college football landscape, it is absolutely Alabama. You know, you're talking about a group of guys. Jaron Reed is probably going to work himself into the first round on defense. Ashawn Robinson, if you look at the mock drafts, Ashawn Robinson's getting first, second round looks. John Allen's getting second, third round looks. Um, Reggie Ragland's getting first round looks. Hell, uh, I'll absolutely say something that Matt Miller, one of my favorite uh, draft scouts, he's for the Breacher Report, he didn't even rank Eddie Jackson because he thinks Eddie Jackson could come back. And if you had told me six months ago that Eddie Jackson could come out early as a part of the secondary, I thought you were crazy. I would have probably had to ask you to take a psych eval. Like, that's what's coming. That's how good the Alabama defense, not just the front seven, but the Alabama defense is, in terms of NFL-level talent, and I'm not even sure that gets talked about enough because, good Lord, those boys are great. So if you stop them with seven, you got a shot. Well, and uh, I had a you know uh, a, a, a Twitter follower of mine tell me that the game plan for Alabama uh, should be to put eight in the box and go man, and I disagree. Alabama's got to be able to – stop the run and slow down Leonard Fournette with six and, and really seven at the most guys and then be able to mix up the looks for Brandon Harris because any quarterback can deal with man coverage. But if you mix up the looks, if you go zone, man, uh, combination coverages, a lot of times you can force a quarterback into mistakes. And I'm counting on Alabama to really confuse Brandon Harris and uh, force some turnovers. I think no, group, I disagree. One one more thing, Kerry. I'm sorry. I disagree with the man mostly. Alabama right. should stay in zone to contain Brandon Harris getting out of the pocket. That's but, another great point, Thomas. Kerry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, on the play against Tennessee, when Minka dropped the pick six, he started out in the nickel, and as the ball was snapped, he rotated back to a safety-type position before he dropped that pick six. So there's going to be things that are being thrown at Brandon Harris even as the ball is being snapped. The pre-snap reads are all fine and good, but there's going to be things thrown at him he hasn't seen. And I'll go out on a limb and say it. I may eat these words, but I'll go out on a limb and say that this Saturday night, sometime between 7 and 10 Central, that Brandon Harris will throw his first pick of the year. Oh, I think he's going to throw multiple interceptions, in my opinion, but we'll see what happens. But I know we've got our first guest on the Big Head Chuck Barbecue Hotline, great friend of the show, great friend of mine, uh, frequent contributor to Talking Ball, and, of course, uh, here at BAMS Radio, and he's one of the hardest-working guys in the recruiting industry. And, boy, this week is quite a week, especially with the list of visitors that's already been uh, put out there uh, for Alabama and LSU. But it's John Garcia of Scout.com. John, how are you doing tonight? 
Good, good. Always good to be back on with you guys. And, yeah, you nailed it, Drew. I mean, a, a ridiculous visitor list. I know some close to the Alabama program have told me they think it could be the best visitor list ever, not just for Alabama, but possibly ever for any school for one regular season type scenario. So uh, I think that's a bold statement, even though it comes from Alabama, fairly bold if it's even in the conversation when you're talking about a middle-of-the-season type game. But that's what really uh, Bama LSU has become every single year. Yeah, John, I, I wanted to start it off uh, because, as we know, and you've told us on this show, that uh, recruiting changes every day, every week. And, and mm-hmm. then kid, there was kids in the state of Alabama that, that tied, if, depending on their senior seasons and production and the way things unfold, could garner interest from them later in the process. But there's two guys that I really liked in state that Alabama has waited uh, they've offered one this week. The other, there's heavy rumors that the offer could come very soon. Uh, but uh, first of all, it's one of Michael Pirine, who has been offered from Theodore High School, the running back, who I, I first, I, you know, he, he announced uh, to, I re- this week that he's going to take an official visit to Alabama. I, I, uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about Devin White. I honestly don't, don't think he's going to come to Alabama. I would like to see them take Pirine. I think he's their kind of back and be the second back in this class with B.J. Emmons. And then, the other young man I wanted to ask you about is someone that I've always liked. He's been a long-time commit to the USC Trojans, but I've always felt like if Alabama made him a priority, they could come back and sign him. But we all know how crowded the wide receiver uh, board is, but Vellis Jones of Sarah Land High School, your thoughts on both those guys? Yeah, you know, both Mobile area guys. So, you know what, first of all, before you even know anything about them, you know they play – ridiculously good competition week in, week out. And there's something to be said for that, uh, especially in the state of Alabama. Uh, And Mobile, per capita, according to the 2018 NFL draft numbers, the number one NFL-producing market in the country. So, obviously, uh, kids who excel down there, uh, there's a little bit of an extra bump in perception, as as there should be. So, uh, obviously, as you said, Drew, um, LaMichael T. Ryan picked up the Bama offer last night. a long time coming, as you said. You know, this is one we've talked about for a very long time. If Bama was going to offer an in-state back, to me and to many, it was either going to be P. Ryan or Jerry and Street, who's committed to Ole Miss, uh, and obviously P. Ryan got the nod from Nick Saban Tuesday evening. This makes a lot of sense. He he has that Bama back look, and it's it's funny you brought up BJM, and they're pretty similar, both around six foot both in that 215 to 225 range, sort of what you would almost create if you thought of a frame for a quote-unquote Bama back. It it satisfies the Mark Ingram, the Trent Richardson, the Eddie Lacy, the Derrick Henry is the exception to every rule, it seems like. But, you know, a bigger, stronger back. But the similarities, you know, continue with the speed. They can run in the open field. And in particular with P. Ryan, he added weight and maintain speed. We see it a lot with kids going from their junior year to senior year at various positions, but him being able to do that in running at running back in Mobile and still have 1,500 yards through uh, 10 games I think speaks volumes to the work ethic he has. You know he's got good bloodlines. His cousin is Samaj uh, Perrine out at uh, Oklahoma who had that 400-yard game as a freshman last year. So there's plenty of bloodlines there, and there's plenty of interest with Alabama now that that offer is on the table. However, this isn't a no-brainer flip to the Crimson Tide. There's going to be a lot more work needed for the Crimson Tide to flip him from Florida, where he is currently committed. Of course, the irony there, Jim McElwain, Doug Nussmeyer leading that charge for the Gators instead of the Crimson Tide, and that's why it's going to be tough. A lot of similarities, 
as to how McIlwain recruits. The scheme is getting closer and closer uh, to what Alabama did because, of course, McIlwain ran that a couple years back. So there's a lot of similarities between these two programs. And from the Perrine perspective, he liked both of these schools going up. I actually was speaking to his father a little bit yesterday. And growing up, and you have to, it kind of ages the rest of us, when he was very young, first getting into football, it was the Tim Tebow Gators who he sort of fell in love with. And that eventually transitioned to the Alabama teams of, you know, 08, 09, et cetera. So really the two dream schools that he had from day one, Alabama and Florida, are now the two schools heavy battling for his commitment. So I think it's going to be a, a recruitment that drags out a lot longer than maybe the casual recruiting fan thinks. And, of course, him getting to campus Saturday, which is the plan, uh, is, is big there. We're not sure if his family is going to attend with him. And we don't think it's an official visit just yet, which is a good thing, I think, for Alabama because, one, you get him on campus, and, two, you still leave that door open for an official visit later in the cycle, possibly closer to National Signing Day, which is always important. So that's going to be one, maybe the most watched kid in Alabama going forward now with that Crimson Tide offer uh, to his name. And with Velas Jones, I think you said a lot about him. He's a two-way guy. You know, he surprised me. I saw him last Thursday in action. He surprised me with his defense. You know, he was going up against – uh, hoops commitment of New Mexico State, Reggie Todd. This kid is 6'5", 200 pounds, and, and, and Velas was the more physical of the two. He was the, the grittier guy. He was challenging the 6'5 receiver as opposed to the 6'5 receiver challenging, you know, the 5'11", 6'0", cornerback. Uh, so I think that impressed me a lot. Uh, of course, you know, Todd was going to win his battles, and, and Jones won the others. Both of them, you know, made big plays. Jones had an a interception and a touchdown as a receiver, and Todd had uh, two touchdowns as a wide receiver. So I think the the competitive nature in him was really intriguing for me. Uh, and then afterwards, speaking to him, as you mentioned, you know, he's committed to USC, but clearly open, clearly thinking SEC. He's going to be at Bama Saturday as well. Then he goes to Mississippi State for an official. Then he's going to visit Florida. This is another school, uh, another guy that Florida has locked into as they have really ramped up recruiting efforts in the state of Alabama. So he's an intriguing one. If, if I had to have a player comparison here, I think Jones could be a, an Ardarius Stewart type of guy. I saw him in high school at Fulton Vale right outside of Birmingham. Long kid, despite not being the tallest kid out there. I think Jones has some of those qualities. Ardarius was a two-way guy, moved around in high school and, and certainly in college before settling a wide receiver. And I could see Vilas Jones being that type of player, certainly some, someone that Alabama should, should keep a close eye on. John, it seems like uh, every other year, which, of course, is the odd years, so, you know, 11, 13, 15, what have you, when LSU comes to Bryant-Denny Stadium, it seems to be a literal convention of four- and five-star recruits, some of which are <laughs> some of which are considering Alabama more strongly than others. But speaking sure. specifically about this Saturday night's gathering uh, in – the hallowed annals of Bryant-Denny, of these many four and maybe more five-stars under one roof. That I don't know. I don't know if there's been a game that more five-stars have committed or at least said they were going to visit. Talk about some of the bigger names who are going to be in town Saturday who are uncommitted and, and where Alabama stands with those big names, specifically the five-stars, John. Yeah, well, it's crazy. You know, there's double-digit five-stars. There's plenty in, in 2016, 2017, even 2018, Kerry there's multiple five-stars visiting Alabama. It's that kind of expected visitor list. And that's what's been kind of crazy for the Crimson Tide coaching staff. You know, there's sort of – there's usually a, a little period before each game week 
that it's almost a free-for-all for, for recruits. It, it's that Wednesday to Friday period where there's a couple of tickets left and kids say, hey, I'm coming and I'm bringing seven of my high school teammates. And sometimes Bama's like, okay, cool. Well, this week that's not going to happen. That is not going to fly. The bye week was used for on-the-field purposes, but off the field, in, in addition to coaches on the trail recruiting, finalizing this visitor list, making it an invite-only type of event was going down, and that list is almost finalized, not a lot of spots remaining. So I think that's sort of overlooked here with this kind of list. But what that means on the positive side is, of course, a lot of elite guys and not so much their teammates. So Bama's going to be able to lock in on several top-tier targets in multiple classes. And, and if you're talking about this weekend, official visitors, unofficial visitors, committed, uncommitted, any position, you've got to start with Greg Little. This is the number one target on Alabama's board, perhaps overall at this point. He's the true left tackle that you ask me about every single time. Kerry, he's the guy for Alabama. Now, he was originally, ironically enough, expected to commit today. Back at the opening in July, he said November 4th, which is his 18th birthday, so happy 18th birthday, Greg, if you're listening. You know, he was supposed to make that decision today. So leading up to it, it was like, okay, when is Bama going to get this kid on campus? Because he hasn't been since the summer. Well, the the Halloween weekend materialized. It became a topic. Bama tried to get it done, but he did not take the trip. So there was a sense, well, Bama is on the outside looking in here. But all of a sudden, he pushes back his commitment date to the middle of November, and he squeezes in this Bama visit. We're still hearing both sides of the equation as to whether or not it's an official or unofficial visit, but it really doesn't matter at this point because regardless, getting a five-star like that on campus is massive news for the Crimson Tide again. He's really the final piece to this offensive line puzzle in the class of 2016. Bama literally has all the other four positions on the offensive line locked in here in this class. So I think getting Little on campus is, is monstrous because he's already seen Alabama in action twice. He was in Athens. He was in Arlington. This is about Bama's culture. This is about the off-the-field stuff, seeing the campus, things like that. So uh, it, it could be really interesting with Little. He, he's, of course, the main event guy. And we'll see if he even makes that commitment in the middle of the month. There's some sources that tell me he could push this thing back further and further uh, away from, from November and get closer to the new year, if not beyond that point. So that's going to be something to track after this point. But getting him on campus, of course, just you cannot – uh, understate the value of that any any uh, in any respect. Uh, and then, of course, you move on to the usual guys you would expect at a game like this, Louisiana guys, in-state guys for Alabama, Ben Davis, Mac Wilson, the two in-state linebackers, one and two in the state respectively. They will both, of course, be on campus. And then you go beyond it. You know, you go out of state and you go far away out of state. How about Dylan Moses, the number one player in the entire country, 2018, one-time LSU commitment, He'll be back on campus. You go to Mike Juarez out of California, five-star linebacker who just decommitted from USC. He'll be on campus. Uh, so this thing really stretches all over the country, and that's before you even get to the official visitors. Isaac Nott, a five-star tight end, number one tight end in the country, former Florida State commitment. Most people think Georgia is the school to be, but get this. You know, he canceled his USC official because of the Sark news, and that's how Bama got this official visit scheduled for the LSU game. Well, now there's some rumblings about Mark Richt in Georgia, so perhaps that's another benefit for Alabama, this sort of coaching carousel that got them the official visit in the first place. And people don't realize how long Bama had been recruiting Isaac Nader just because he hasn't talked about Alabama very much. But him being from Buford, Georgia, 
the Crimson Tide has been in on him for several years, so this is a big weekend for that five-star. And then, as I said, another class is 2017, D'Angelo Gibbs out of the state of Georgia, a supreme athlete, wide receiver, cornerback. All these guys are undeclared, so getting them all on campus at the same time, uh, you know, you can't state the value, you know, how high it is. You, you get those guys not only to your school, but you get them to hang around each other. Elites like to hang out with elites. It's why people on message boards ask me if this five-star from Georgia is friends with this five-star from New Jersey. They end up hanging out together uh, because they're coveted recruits in today's recruiting, mean, meaning they're going to the same camps and the same all-star games and now the same visits during the season. So that has helped Alabama lock down five stars in the past, and I think this year will be no different. But, of course, if you're talking five stars, if you're talking anything about this weekend, Greg Little should be the first name brought up. Yeah, and John, another guy that, you know, looks like he may visit and I know has been, uh, since his camp performance this summer, has been high on the Crimson Tides board, I think is uh, Kevin Ridley, the brother of Calvin Ridley. I wanted to know, you know, what your thoughts on him were in evaluation. I've had some people ask me about his speed, uh, but all I know is I heard he put on a show at the Tide camp and really uh, jumped more to the forefront. I know Florida has been mentioned with him, Auburn as well. But uh, your thoughts on Alabama and uh, Kevin Ridley? Well, as you said, Drew, the, the, the board changes. Recruiting changes seemingly day by day. And the receiver board has always tilted towards Kevin Ridley's favor. While many other things have changed, Darnell Solomon slipping down, now Trevon Diggs possibly slipping down a little bit with Maryland, the new school that people are expecting him to end up at, Kevin Ridley's stock has always, with Alabama at least, been really, really solid, and I think that remains today. But this is the thing. Again, the casual fan might think, oh, this is Calvin Ridley's brother. He's the same guy, and you couldn't be more wrong. They're actually opposites. They belong on the same side of the field uh, in a wide receiver set with Calvin in the slot and Kevin on the outside. He's a couple of inches taller than Calvin. He's thicker than Calvin. You know, he's more of the 6'2", 200-pound type range. Uh, one, one time uh, before he even had offers, his seven-on-seven seven coach down in South Florida, which is, you know, a big deal. It's becoming the AAU of football. He told me, think of think of uh, Calvin as more of the Odell Beckham and Calvin as more of the Des Bryant. So if that puts it in more of a perspective, a physical guy, a big guy, reliable hand, but when it comes down to it, he can create the separation when it is needed, whether it's because of his physicality or because of his route-running discipline and his stride. And uh, Kevin has all those qualities. And as you said, he put on a show for Alabama's coaches this summer with those qualities. And, of course, the bloodlines don't hurt. He's enjoyed every bit of his brother's season like most Alabama fans have. So he's still a take. He's still a big-time priority for Alabama. And, and as of last check, he will be on campus Saturday. And, again, this is an unofficial visit, so still, you know, all these guys who are not making that official trip this weekend, it's big news for Bama because you're getting them on campus for maybe the best atmosphere of the entire season, and then you possibly can get them back for an official visit closer to when it's decision-making time. And I think Kevin's going to be one of those guys. John, Drew and I are planning on making a road trip uh and, and for me, it's the first time in my life that I've gone to Starkville, Mississippi, unless it was for a college athletic event. But this Friday night, Drew and I are heading over there to see Clinton play Starkville High. Uh, obviously, Cam Akers is on Clinton. Obviously, uh, A.J. Brown 
is on Starkville, and even Kobe Jones is on Starkville, kind of a yep. second-tier Bama recruit. But today, John, I was informed uh, about a junior to watch. You know, one of my things with FNL is juniors to watch. Yes, I wasn't sir. familiar with the player, and, and if you're not familiar with the player, that's fine. But it's a, it's a 17 kid. It's a defensive back who is Starkville High's leading tackler by the name of Abdural Lee. And it sounds like a surgical procedure, but Abdural Lee. Uh, <laughs> are you familiar at all with him? If not, that's fine. We're going to check him out Friday. Yeah, haven't seen him in person yet, so curious to see uh, what you guys discover out there uh, in Mississippi. But um, I have heard good things about him. You know, Steve Robertson, who covers Mississippi State for Scout.com, he is all over right. that state. Uh, he's very well connected there. He has put his name in my mind. You know, he crosses over to Alabama a, a plenty. He goes to Gordo a good bit. You know, and Mississippi State likes Ben Davis, and, of course, they like a couple of his teammates as well. Um, so we communicate quite a bit, and he has mentioned his name to me, and he is very high on him, and I trust his evaluation uh, as much as anybody's in this industry. So I have heard plenty of good things about him, but have not yet seen him in person. So very excited to see what you see, Kerry. And, John, just kind of a follow-up. I, I mentioned Akers. I mentioned uh, A.J. Brown and, and Kobe Jones. Tell us a little bit about those three guys, uh, how firm is Camp's commitment, uh, what kind of shot, or even if uh, A.J. would get a committable offer. And is Kobe even in the realm of being part of Alabama's class? You know, they're all really interesting for, for many reasons. They're all big guys. They're all somewhat versatile guys. I'll start with the wide receiver, A.J. Brown, since we were just talking about wideouts. He's closer to that Kevin Ridley type, a bigger, stronger guy. He's, he's one that typically does not look very great without pads on because he's not a 4-4 guy. He's not even necessarily a jump ball guy, but – when it's come down to it, this fall in pads, he has put Starkville on his back as a wide receiver, just having double-digit reception games like crazy, and Alabama has noticed that. But as we said, Kerry, this receiver board is, is insane. There's no other way to put it. I mean, just even if you just look at the guys visiting on Saturday, and, yes, A.J. Brown is, is visiting as well, just the receivers. Uh, you can't even sort out which guys are in best position for Alabama. Demetrius Robertson, the former commitment, is visiting. Michael Jones out of Louisiana. Keith Gavin out of Florida. We mentioned Ridley. We mentioned Brown. Bama can't take all of them. Velas Jones might get the offer, as Drew alluded to. I mean, it's, it's crazy. This wide receiver board is one of the most intriguing positions I've ever tracked at Alabama. Um, so where does Brown fit in? What, what category does he fit in? If he fits in the Ridley category, and Michael Jones is in that category as well, can Bama take two or three of the same type of receiver? I think that's part of this, this really hard evaluation that Alabama is going uh, to have to finalize here in the next couple of months. Do you want to take one of each type, two of one type, and one of the other? Uh, however you balance it out is going to be tough because guess what? The guy you have committed right now, T.J. Simmons, he's also more of that type of wide receiver. So I think the the preferences are, are going to be nitpicky to sort through, but I think that's how you're going to get your commitments from Alabama at that wide receiver position. So right now I would see Brown on the outside looking in, but again, Things change day by day, and he might be the biggest of the receivers still considering Alabama. And a five-star I didn't even mention a second ago who's visiting, who's very important all of a sudden, is Nicole Hardman out of Georgia. He's a corner. He's a receiver. Bama likes him at receiver today. And he's one that can do a little bit of everything, sort of like Demetrius Robertson. So, again, this board is insane at wide receiver. So, Brown, I think today on the outside looking in, but certainly things can change in a second. Uh, Cam Akers, the running back out of Clinton, or quarterback out of Clinton who's projected to play running back, at the next level, he's a big, thick, again, 
that word is tossed out a lot, that Bama type of running back, but he also fits that mold. I think there's little doubting his talent the more doubt comes with his recruitment, as you alluded to, Kerry. Tennessee is a strong number two here and, and a surprising number two considering he's from Clinton, Mississippi, so you would expect MSU and Ole Miss to be in this race possibly a little more. And they are in the race in general, but Tennessee has been a strong number two for a while. He visited uh, Knoxville, I believe, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so he hasn't been to Bama in quite some time. He's returning on Saturday as well, which is important for the Crimson Tide. But, again, that's a battle that's going to be all the way through uh, National Signing Day 2017. But as of today, committed to Alabama. And, again, uh, it sounds so simple, but any commitment who visits Saturday, it's not going to hurt Alabama's chances to hold on to him. But certainly in that class of 2017, especially now that D.D. Bowie has slipped from Bama to Ole Miss, I think another Mississippi kid, by the way, I think um, Cam Akers becomes the number one guy to keep a close eye on. I think uh, Alex Leatherwood and Tory Johnson, two offensive linemen, are close to Cam, but I think Cam today is still probably the most likely 2017 to end up elsewhere. But that's not a bad thing for Alabama. It just means they got to fight a little bit more, and they're certainly up to that fight. But talent-wise, there's no debating the guy. He's a fringe five-star on scout.com. He'll be in that uh, conversation for the next year, seemingly. So talent-wise, he's ideal for Alabama's situation. And all of a sudden, as we talked about over the last few months, Bama in need of running back. So he's critical for the class of 2017 one way or the other. And then Kobe Jones, maybe the most interesting on-the-field guy between the three that you're going to see on Friday, Kerry, offensive line, defensive line, where does he fit best? Well, we know he's big. We know he can run very well. And we know he's open to playing either position. I personally see him as an Anthony Jennings type of guy, maybe a a potential jack guy, but most likely an outside five technique, uh, you know, Deshaun Hand type of guy uh, if he were to select Alabama or if Alabama would pursue him a little bit more. Uh, He's an interesting guy. He, He seems like one of these guys who you sort of just bring in and then see what happens positionally. But at this stage of the process, at this stage of figuring out this class of 2016, Bama may not have much time for, you know, guys that you just bring in and just see what happens positionally. I think the numbers are critical on defense, both at defensive end and Jack linebacker. Remember, no true Jack linebackers in this class right now. There's guys like Terrell Hall and Jeff Simmons on the table uh, and, and Janarius Robinson, uh, an FSU commitment, who's an official visitor this weekend. Those three are on the table, but none committed yet. So, can Kobe Jones be a Jack linebacker type? I think that would best benefit him, especially now that um, Khalid Kareem, who is sort of in the same boat, has departed Alabama's uh, commitment list. So positionally, I think he's the most interesting because he can play defensive and outside linebacker or possibly a pulling guard. Uh, it depends on what his body does. It depends on what his mentality is. And honestly, for him, it probably depends on what guys like Terrell Hall, Janarius Robinson, and Jeff Simmons do uh, here in the next few months. And, John, uh, a position I wanted to ask you about is defensive line. Obviously, I think Alabama's going to still do very well at the spot, but I thought it was interesting uh, that they offered another Arizona Western star uh, about a week ago or so uh, in the junior college ranks at that defensive end. I'll let you uh, – so I don't butcher the name. I'll let you break him down. But where do you see him fitting in? And also just kind of update us on the Alabama defensive line board. Yeah, his his last name is Kabongo, if if it serves me correctly. He's a Canadian, so this is an interesting one. Uh, There was a guy a season ago named uh, Neville Gallimore from Canada who came down to the States and really impressed a lot of people in pads. He became a blue-chip national recruit, ended up at Oklahoma, 
and a lot of people think this Kabongo guy could be similar to him. Of course, he's a little bit more on a non-traditional path at junior college, but he's getting that same sort of explosion uh, that Gallimore got a season ago, and Alabama was in that one for a, a short time as well. I think it could be similar in Alabama's chances as well. Um, you know, the kid's just getting so many offers. He's from Canada, doesn't really know a whole lot about the culture of American football. So I think those things actually benefit every team not named Alabama and USC and Texas and Michigan, those type of schools, you know, non-brand-named schools. I think it benefits those guys as much as anybody. So I think his recruitment is going to be a long one. It's it's one that is in its very infancy at this point uh, while he takes visits. But certainly Bama threw its hat in the ring. I think positionally probably more of a down lineman, uh, could play five technique, maybe can kick inside on certain situations. Maybe a DJ Petway type, if that makes some sense to Alabama fans listening. He's a, a, a tweener in his size, but it's a good thing in Alabama's scheme because depending on the down and the sub package that is out on the field, you know he can play multiple positions on purpose as opposed to on accident in, in a traditional 4-3 scheme. So he's an interesting guy. Uh, as far as the board, Drew, I think it's sort of where, where it has been for some time. You know, edge guys are still being talked about. I mentioned three, you know, Robinson, the Florida State commitment is visiting again. Jeff Simmons, Terrell Hall, the former Ohio State commitment. These guys have been talked about plenty with Alabama on the edge. You've got Quinnen Williams committed. What about Marlon Davidson, the Auburn commitment? How solid is he? He was back on the plane just last week. And not on the not on the visit list that I have seen just yet. Still looking into that one. So that one could be interesting if he doesn't visit could be an indication on, on what's uh, going on with Marlon Davidson. So this five-technique position, what, what does Alabama do with it? You've got Quinnen Williams, as I said, but really not a whole lot beyond that with Khaled Kareem departing. So which guys do you put into that category? Which guys do you put into the Jack linebacker category, which is more uh, of a rush-type uh, prospect like Christian Bell, who's a gray shirt expected to come in in January? Uh, so that's going to be interesting to sort out. Um, in the middle, though, I think it's still pretty clear, Drew. It's going to be five stars. Bama's got Kendall Jones, the Hulk committed, who's ironically visiting Texas this weekend. Remember, LSU visit uh, in the last couple of weeks, where which was the number one school for him growing up and the number two school to Alabama when he committed. And now Texas, which is the in-state school, gets him on campus. He's a big fan of Charlie Strong, as, as many recruits are. So interesting to see when he gets back to Tuscaloosa and when he might take that official visit. But beyond him at defensive tackle, as I said, five stars are going to be the name of the game. Bama still competing for an official visit for Rashawn Gary, the number one player in the country, a guy who could probably play jack, five technique, nose, three technique, whatever you need in the front seven. And there's actually good news for everybody with his recruitment because Paramus Catholic, which was expected to be a national power uh, in high school, actually didn't even make the playoffs in the state of New Jersey. So I believe after this weekend, He's fair game. He's got freedom to take trips, which is something nobody thought he would have because they'll be climbing towards a state championship in mid-December. Now all of a sudden he's freed up in mid-November, so that's an extra month of potential unofficial and official visits. So you better believe everyone's working their you-know-what off to get him on campus for an official visit, and Alabama will be one of those schools. Beyond Gary, Rashard Lawrence, a five-star out of Louisiana on the defensive line. Dexter Lawrence, a five-star out of North Carolina on the defensive line. Derek Brown, five-star out of Georgia. All of these guys have Bama not only in their top groups, but probably top two or three with both Lawrence's maybe having Alabama as high up as one or two at this point. And, again, the good news here, I keep saying it, but I can't emphasize it enough, 
those guys have yet to take that Alabama official visit or even schedule it, to my knowledge at this point. So that is great news for the Crimson Tide. Still plenty of time, and it looks like all of those guys are going to take this thing pretty much to national signing day or close to it, you know, January, February, before all is said and done. And that's good news because that gives Bama time to not only make up ground for some of the guys like Gary, who they may not be number one for today, uh, but certainly gives them time to schedule those official visits and figure out their own board because Bama's not going to take all four of these five-star defensive tackles, or all five, I should say. So they're going to have to basically lose one either by somebody else's uh, you know, cause or, or by their own. So that sort of domino effect like we see with quarterbacks is going to occur with wide receivers, defensive tackles, and edge prospects here in the next couple of months. And those are all going to benefit Alabama when it's all said and done. It's just a matter of which names are going to be in there. So the defensive tackle position will be great. It'll be compared to the best ever at Alabama when all is said and done provided if they could hold on to uh, Kendall Jones, which I do predict at this time, despite uh, some of these other visits he's taken. Well, John, your master's in broadcasting is from Syracuse, which is more prestigious than mine from Alabama, but you just gave me a great segue because my next question to you was <laughs> going to be about the ramblings that are stronger than ever, not saying anything's going to happen, but the ramblings, rumblings, whatever, are stronger than ever about a potential departure of Mark Rick, even if it's mutual, they could be happening in December or January. What does this do for Alabama with specifically Derek Brown and generally other prospects that are committed or leaning to Georgia? Oh, yeah, I mean, this it would be big. You know, Georgia, face value, let's say every every school loses its head coach, 130 jobs open, let's say. If you were just going off of that, nobody has precedent or perception. You were just going off of location, uh, conference, and things like that. How high would Georgia be on your, your wish list if you were a head coach looking for a job? I think it would be pretty high. The whole, it's, you know, it, it, it's an SEC school in Georgia, closer to Atlanta than most of the other powers in the SEC. I mean, you've got so much going for you on face value with that job. So if it becomes open and kids start to not really know the future of that program, it is a major benefit not only to Alabama, but to Auburn and Florida State and LSU and the Carolinas, North and South, everybody. Georgia Tech certainly benefits from any kind of rumblings or trouble at UGA, even if Mark Rick doesn't get fired. I mean, we've seen this happen at Miami over the last two or three recruiting cycles where just the rumblings about Al Golden's potential future have steered kids away from Miami in their own state. I think that would be similar in Georgia. Georgia has a hard enough time keeping five stars home because there are so many elite kids. Um, so if that happened this year, it helps Bama with Derek Brown, who's basically pegged to Georgia, you know, without even thinking about it, you know, as of the last couple of months. And even with Isaac Nada, who we alluded to earlier, a tight end who could really put a wrinkle in Alabama's recruiting plan because you've got two tight ends on board right now. You could be looking for a third, but is it to bring in three or is it because one may be moved to a different position or because one may depart the commitment list? And all of a sudden the timing is interesting because there's another tight end taking an official visit this week, and it's Miller Forrestal who's committed to Alabama already. So he was at Cal a week ago on an official visit, and he's going to see Michigan officially as well. So perhaps that could influence some of the Isaac Nada um, temptation for Alabama. So you couple all of that with the scenario at USC and the possible scenario at Georgia, and all of a sudden, especially considering Nada's not really looking at FSU in terms of committing back to the Seminoles, 
Alabama ends up looking like they're in pretty good shape competing with maybe Ole Miss and possibly TCU, which I don't even know if they use the tight end. Uh, so it really could end up being a Bama-Ole Miss battle. Of course, his high school quarterback is Shea Patterson at IMG Academy, um, but certainly Bama would love to be in a two-horse race as opposed to a three- or four-horse race for a guy like that. But, again, this helps you with a lot of guys pegged to Georgia. How about former commitment Demetrius Robertson, who's from Savannah, Georgia, who most think are going to end up back at Georgia. Miko Hardman, the five-star I alluded to a moment ago. Maybe the top defensive back on Alabama's board, Nigel Warrior, a guy pegged to either Georgia, Tennessee, or Alabama, depending on who you talk to. That certainly helps Bama uh, with a guy like that, who I absolutely love, and Drew can attest to that. Now, he's another one on, on campus Saturday as well. Pretty much everyone you can imagine on campus Saturday. So this helps Bama potentially even if Rick stays because of the rumblings. It doesn't mean Bama's going to get any of these guys or two or three, but that perception, that, that seed of doubt has worked wonders for Florida and Florida State down there in the Sunshine State because of the Miami situation. If it happens at Georgia, I think the implications could be even bigger just because of how many SEC schools are so close to Athens and Atlanta. Uh, it could really be a floodgate opening type of scenario, especially if Georgia loses another game or two here at the very end. Well, John, we certainly appreciate your time tonight. I had to ask you about Derek Brown because he was the best player I saw last year. Uh, you did a good job of explaining that. But we certainly appreciate your time. And uh, why don't you, before that you go, go ahead and tell our listeners where they can see your stuff and from a podcast perspective where they can hear your stuff. Absolutely, Kerry. I appreciate that. You know, you can catch me a little bit of everywhere online. Uh, if you like Twitter, you'll like me. I have like nine accounts. John Garcia underscore JR is the primary. At Bama Mag is the secondary. That's where guys like Kerry, myself, Kirk McNair put in a lot of work with Alabama stuff, whether it's recruiting team stuff, everything in between. We have that going. Uh, and then the new one, uh, at Scout HS Alabama. We're less than a year and just hit 15,000, or excuse me, 1,500 followers. We cover all things in the state of Alabama. So if you're looking for that sleeper quarterback out of Priceville, High school, you know, we have information on him and why Troy is his only offer. I still don't get it. You know, you can get information like that. A ton of videos, wherever game we end up going to, we film the entire thing. So if a kid surprises us, bam, he's getting a video in the next couple of days. I mean, we really try to cover the entire scope of the great state of Alabama, which is becoming harder to do because it's going to be more than 100 kids signing D1 scholarships this year in 2016. That's a good problem to have for us, but certainly we're happy with the work so far at Scout HS Alabama um, on Twitter. And the actual website for that, if you're just looking for the stories, is hsalabama.scout.com. Uh, and then, of course, the podcast Carrie alluded to. We recorded one today. We're now on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays over at Crimson and Blue Chips. It's part of Bama Sports Radio. So if you're a BAMS radio uh, listener who has Bama Sports Radio, scroll down a little bit more and you'll see Crimson and Blue Chips. That's where yours truly just rambles on and on like I do about uh, certain scenarios. So obviously this week we actually did two separate shows on the visitors for Alabama LSU. It's that big. I've never done that before, but I figured if I was ever going to do it, this week would be a good one to do it. So Crimson and Blue Chips is our free podcast that comes out multiple times a week. So however you want to consume us, uh, we're ready for you. Absolutely. Well, John, we appreciate it, man. Have a good evening. Thanks for your time, Always a pleasure, John. John Garcia of uh, Scout.com and BamaMag.com. And at this time, I'm going to throw it to Thomas Watts to introduce our next guest here on Bama's Radio. Absolutely. Thank you, Kerry. Uh, I'm going to go on and bring on my boss. Well, I have multiple bosses because I do multiple things. But anyway, my, my, one of my sports bosses, uh, Brandon Williams, the editor at Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Brandon, how are you this evening, my friend? I'm doing well, Thomas. Thank you. How are you? Oh man, just producing a show, doing what I do, same di- same old, same old. But uh, 
I know you wanted to come on and you would talk to me about this just to kind of tell our listeners about the big touchdown Alabama relaunch, and then I'm going to pick your brain about the LSU-Alabama game. We also uh, – also my other co-host is Drew DeArmond. He's uh, up in Huntsville. Drew, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. No problem, man. I'm, I'm here and uh, just looking forward to hearing what's going on at Touchdown Alabama. Brandon, the floor is yours. Well, I definitely appreciate you guys having me on this evening. Um, and uh, just like Thomas was saying, uh, we just relaunched our, our site. It was it's going through a couple of different transformations uh, just in this, this year alone. And, you know, I've, I'm still the somewhat new guy uh, with Touchdown Alabama. I, I've been with the, the company and the magazine since uh, uh, the earlier part of this year. And, you know, you know Thomas has been around for, for quite some time, you know, covering games, uh in a lot of the larger events for us. And uh, this this new transformation is, is really we're still just scratching the surface on what we really hope to bring uh, Alabama fans and Alabama football fans all across the nation and the world, because, um, yes, there are Alabama fans uh, in other countries, believe it or not. Um, but definitely just all everything that you can think of in terms of Alabama football coverage, whether it's the, the top-notch recruiting, uh, NFL former players, uh, we have a, a feature that we do, uh, former uh, Alabama players catching up with them. Because um, a, lot, a lot of times they get forgotten, and you know, a lot of the, the fans want to know what these guys are up to. So we, we do uh, follow up with former Alabama, uh, Alabama football players as well as follow their careers in the NFL, um, um, like you see with you know, Julio Jones, Howard Clinton Dix. You can name any of them. Uh, we, we usually follow and cover quite a few of those, as well as covering the practices and the games that we've been doing for, for years. Um, but if you take a look at the site now, it's, it's, it's a much cleaner look than what you may have previously looked at, and, and we're just excited on, on, on all the changes that, that we're going to continue to, to provide fans, and um, just can't wait to, to see how it's going to continue to unfold in the next uh, couple, few weeks and, and months, and um, just a very exciting time at Touchdown Alabama right now. Absolutely, and I've actually been posting things. I, I, I'm not sure you caught the beginning of the show, but I basically vocalized my column from today about how the college football playoff is silly. But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts just briefly. What's your take on this big game on Saturday, Brandon? What do you see some keys to the game, and do you have a score prediction for us? Well, it's interesting, Thomas. You know, I was actually – tailgating um, four years ago, the last quote-unquote game of the century between Alabama and LSU when it was at, uh, at in Tuscaloosa at Brian Denny. And the feel around, you know, the, the, the Todd fan base at that point was that it was almost impossible for that team to lose just based on that defense that they had. And, and what I've been saying for the past, I don't know, five, six weeks now, uh, whenever we, we played, um, uh, whenever Alabama played uh, Louisiana Monroe, um, the, the team has a feel for, uh, to me similar to the 2009-2011 team. Um, and the reason why I say that is because you look at the defense that Alabama has, it's very, it's just, it's one of the best that they've had in, in quite some time. And the way that I that I see this game unfolding and, you know, LSU, they get all of the, Notoriety with with Leonard Fournette, which you know, rightfully so. And if Alabama can contain the the play action passes with uh, with Malachi Dupree and those dy- dynamic receivers they have on the outside, 
I, I really see them containing Leonard Fournette, but trying to make sure that uh, they don't get beat with the D ball. But the defense is, is, is exceptionally talented all across the board. Um, not really a whole lot of weaknesses. So Jake, Jake Coker, um, Derrick Henry, Richard Mullaney, Ardarius Stewart, Calvin Ridley, all those guys on the offensive side are really going to have to try to make some 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 huge plays. And I look for someone like O.J. Howard, who we're actually starting to see a lot more of. Um, it, was, it was actually very interesting to see how incorporated he was in the game plan because Alabama fans have been clamoring for this guy uh, since he stepped foot on campus, him being 6'6", uh, roughly 250 pounds with 4 or 5 speed. So, um that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to to, to to seeing from this game is how they match up um, with you know LSU's offensive offensive uh, line of versus Alabama's defensive line and the whole defense uh, as a whole, and uh, the game is going to have to be played in one of the trenches. And um, I see Alabama taking this game, um, just like almost every Alabama LSU game. It's definitely going to come down um, to the fourth quarter. And if I had to hold my feet to the fire, if I had to come up with a score prediction, I'm going to go Alabama 24, LSU, um, we'll say 13. Well, we've had a couple of 24-17 so far from Drew and Kerry. I, I, I said 27-21 earlier this week, and I'm going to stick to it. But, uh, Brandon, we actually need to take a quick break. Thanks so much for being with us tonight, and I'm sure we'll be texting back and forth frantically as the game gets closer. Thank you, Brandon. Absolutely. Yes, sir, and thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. All right, guys, we need to take a quick, our one single only break, and then we'll be joined by Ross Dellinger from The Advocate in Baton Rouge. This is BAMS Radio. We'll be right back. And we're back with a little more BAMS Radio. Sorry, my mic was on mute. The technical wizard was um, not so wizardly there. But, Drew, we do have our next guest on hold, and since I know you lined him up, you get the privilege of introducing him. Absolutely. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, he's been a contributor to my show, Talking Ball, uh, from 12 to 2, uh, every uh, Monday through Friday in Huntsville, Alabama. And now we are glad to welcome him during this huge week uh, for college football and for the SEC, the BAMS Radio uh, for the first time, and that's uh, Ross Dellinger, uh, the LSU beat writer for the Advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, Ross, welcome to Bands Radio, man. We appreciate the time during this busy week. Sure. How are y'all doing? Good, man. And uh, we know this is a huge game for LSU and Alabama. Uh, we we saw the playoff rankings come out yesterday. I guess, first of all, your thoughts. on uh, A lot of consternation about Alabama being in the top four. Uh, no one really surprised with LSU considering the start of this season, but your thoughts just really quickly uh, on the rankings. Yeah, no real surprise. I, I do think the – I guess the only surprise of the top four um, would have been Alabama in there. Uh, I didn't know really what to expect, I guess, from the rankings, but I certainly didn't expect uh, a one-loss Bama team to, to be ahead of, of uh, some other – undefeated teams like TCU and Baylor and even Michigan State. Uh, so that was a little bit surprising, but uh, I'm an AP poll voter, and I, I actually got had LSU number two in my 
AP poll this week, and they ended up coming out number two in the ranking. So that was right about where I, I would imagine they would be. So uh, no real big surprise except, um, yeah, the Todd being, you know, in there. And I think that's a <clears throat> message from the committee, uh, you know, schedule tough or uh, be left out. And, and Ross, uh, let's actually get into the LSU-Alabama game. And one of the things that when I do a breakdown of the LSU offense, it, the the offense did – I don't want to say missed a beat. I don't think that's fair. But the injury to fullback J.D. Moore, obviously a big part of the LSU running game, what is his status for the game this Saturday? You know, I would list him as questionable. Um but I would uh, I would I would lean toward the the the, the probable side. You know, I, I think tonight after hearing Les Miles and kind of hearing some chatter around the program a little bit, that uh, that I, I I would I would think that he would play. And Les said tonight uh, in our meeting uh, in, in his meeting with reporters that that JD practiced the full practice and looks good. And and he said on his radio show that JD would would play the entire game. So. Um, you know, college football coaches are prone to uh, not telling the truth sometimes, but um, I, I think that uh, it, it does sound like JD uh, has been practicing a while, uh, at least the last few days, and um, I, I would expect him to play. I just I don't know how much he's going to play, and and LSU has been, you know, they, they like to run run the I formation and run with the fullbacks, but. Every now and then they they do like to get the shotgun, so I was just wondering to see how much they will play him, knowing he's hurt and just recovered. Uh, but it does sound like he will get some time. He will get some snaps. And Ross, I know uh, that that, uh, that tight end has been a spot where LSU's had some injuries, uh, and obviously their starting tight end uh, is looks like he will be out for this game. What are they going to do at the position to kind of replace his production? Yeah, Dylan Gordon, he's he's out for the year. He tore his ACL mm-hmm. – or tore, not his ACL, he tore his Achilles. And, uh, right. So that, that was a big blow. He's a 310-pound tight end. He's basically – LSU uses him as a third tackle on the line. And so he's a – that's a big blow for for an offense that runs the ball more than 70 times a game um, or 70% of the time, uh, more than 70% of the time. So, uh, Colin Jeter is his backup. He's a junior college guy, very lightly recruited. LSU kind of just stumbled upon this kid. But he, he seems to be, you know, he's a hard worker. He's a smart kid. And um, he just goes out there and blocks, you know, every now and then he'll run a route. But, but he's 50 pounds lighter than Dylan Gordon. So, um, you know, every now and then LSU will, will put Toby Weathersby out there at tight end, especially when they get down to the goal line. So, they kind of they're kind of mixing and matching a little bit. Uh, they're, they're playing a freshman. Also, he's kind of the number two, number three tight end, Foster Morrow. Um, but again, he's a guy nobody really expected to play much. But with Dylan out, he's got to kind of start to play. So Dylan's injury is substantial for a team that runs the ball so much. Uh, that's a big deal to not have a, a basically a third tackle, three hundred ten pound, three hundred fifteen pound guy. So um, you know you'll you'll have a, a smaller couple smaller guys out there and uh you'll just uh, hope they can do the job and, and ross i actually didn't introduce myself this is thomas watts i'm the producer but they let me out of my production cage to talk to a guest for once it's nice ah. but, yeah it's, it's weird i know um 
but you mentioned tight ends, this, how the LSU running game is going to have to adjust. Looking at the, the, you know, the matchup of the LSU blockers against the Alabama front seven, uh, tell me, what's your opinion on this? I feel like if the Alabama front seven has to drop that eighth man in the box, the Tigers' offense will have success <laughs> off play action. Do you see the LSU offensive line being able to open holes for Leonard Fournette against this very tough tied front on a consistent basis? You know, it, it's it's really you know LSU's offensive line has really been solid this year, and, and going into the season they they were expected to do well. They had returned basically three or four guys, and they had some highly rated freshmen coming in, and now they're starting and they're doing well, but. It's it's really hard for me to see them doing really well against Alabama's front. Uh, I know Alabama that that three four front seven rotates a lot of guys. Everybody's fresh and athletic and talented and fast. And it's going to be the best that LSU have, will have seen. LSU's offensive line will have seen. So, um, you know, I don't think Alabama's good enough. With I, I don't I don't know if they they have to drop that eighth man in the box. You know, I don't know if they're they have to drive that seventh man in the box, you know. I, I just, um, but I do because of the injury with J.D. Moore, the fullback, and because you know Alabama's so good in that front seven. I do, I do see LSU, um, you know, coming out in the shotgun a little more and spreading them out, maybe having three three receivers, maybe doing a little bit more of that, and so that will you know pull. Those, those, you know, that seventh and eighth man that Alabama might stack the box with, that'll pull that guy out, and that'll allow Leonard Fournette, even without a fullback, to run, and he's he's been good even without a fullback. So, I I think there's going there's going to be a lot of that going on, but certainly that's a big question. You know, can can LSU's O line move around and block and you know Alabama's front? I mean, it, you know, LSU relies on. Uh, pulling guy, if they don't have, especially if they don't have a fullback, they rely on they rely on pulling guards, even pulling centers sometimes at lead as lead blockers. And uh, one of that one of those guys is Will Clapp. He's a true he's a redshirt freshman, and he's been really good this year as a lead blocker, pulling around. But he's hasn't seen you know when he turns that corner and sees Reggie Ragland uh, instead of some other guy, you know who he's been. Uh, mowing down all year, it, it's going to be a little different. So that's kind of the real question, you know, and I, I don't know what's going to happen except that I, I, I would imagine that Le, that Les Miles and Cam Cameron are going to try to spread Alabama out as much as they can at times and get those blockers out of there. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating matchup, Ross. I don't think there's any doubt. I, I do think it will be the best O-line that Alabama has seen all year as well. I mean, that's where uh, this game really uh, fascinates me is, Alabama, I think, has the best front seven. Reuben Foster's playing his best football, coming off his best game of his career. But LSU's got a, uh, a tremendous front, even without the fullback, uh, J.D. Moore. And then, obviously, Leonard Fournette is the best player in the country, and he's lived up to all the hype thus far. And, but now I think it, uh, we'll, we'll see where Brandon Harris is. I mean, he, he's been amazing uh, to me that he hasn't turned the football over all year, and they've tried to, I think, give him more and more each week. And, uh, I know they'll st- it's still important for LSU to run the football. How much of the offensive game plan do you think they're going to put on Brandon Harris back on Saturday night? Well, you're right. You know, each week they have increased the workload for Brandon. Uh, you know, that's what it seems like. And they, get, they they put more and more on his plate every single week. And, uh, you know, 
this week, I'm not sure uh, that's something that might end, you know, uh, when you're playing Alabama on the road. I'm not so sure you can give your quarterback um, as much, you know, on his plate as you usually would, you know, week by week. So I think that's something that that might kind of come to an end. Uh, I don't expect LSU to to load up Brandon Harris, you know, and, and Les Miles, you know, I mean, he was in charge of the team, you know, four years ago that went to Alabama and won that nine and six game. I'm sure he could think he, he can kind of do it again. You know, he doesn't need a quarterback to throw for three touchdowns and 300 yards. So I would guess, I don't want to say they'd be conservative, but uh, I, I would guess that they wouldn't let Brandon completely chunk the, chuck the ball around and, and run all over the place and, all that stuff. I, I I would guess they would scale back a little bit. But like I mentioned earlier, I do think they might come out and try to spread Alabama out as much as they can using the three wide receivers, maybe the shotgun. But that doesn't mean, you know, Brandon's going to throw the ball. Um, I, I think that you could see them run the ball a lot out of that formation, with they, with they, which they've done quite a bit this season. Um, I I just, if, if, it, you know, if you told me that Brandon had more than 25 passes in this in this game, I would say that LSU certainly lost because they were having to come back, you know, come from behind. Um, so I, I just don't expect that. You know, he's averaging around 20 passes a game, and, and I would think it'll be a lower, if not right around that mark. And, oh, I'm sorry, Thomas. I wanted to just do a real quick follow-up. Absolutely. Um, and, and obviously, uh, Ross, Malachi Dupree hurt Alabama some last year. Uh, and he and Traven Durrell are the two top guys uh, for Brandon Harris. Uh, but I, and, and I know Alabama will pay special attention to both those guys. And this Alabama secondary has gotten a lot better since the old Miss game. How do you see these these LSU receivers who are very talented matching up with, I think, the best secondary right now or one of the best in the SEC? Yeah, you know, Malachi uh, and, and Traven Durrell, LSU's top two receivers, they've They've got speed and they've got size and and they've really you know, done well since the game against Eastern Michigan a few weeks ago where they really struggled. They dropped a lot of balls. Uh, they've they've really excelled and um, they've excelled against some good players. Uh, I mean Vernon Hark, you know Florida came in and, and with Vernon Hargreaves and gosh you know Dupree beat them on a couple of long balls and uh, so they've yep. got talent you know and and so that's that's certainly another another scoreline you know Alabama's. Secondary is always tough. I know that's something Nick Saban always harps on is, is his cornerbacks and, and safeties. And, of course, you got Lane. You know, well, you, you had Landon Collins. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's a uh, – it, it's an interesting matchup to watch because LSU has had success with Durrell and, and Dupree. But, you know, part of me is just, just kind of wondering, um, you know, if they can really have success against a really good secondary on the road and – that's something they just haven't proven yet, and and then you got the whole part of the deal where we just talked about it. You know, it's Les Miles and Cam Cameron gonna give them the opportunity to have success with with you know passing plays. And Ross, shifting to the other side, you know, we're talking about secondary wide receiver matchups. One of the stats that's been thrown around thrown around a lot is LSU ranking in the mid sixties in terms of pass yards per game. And a lot of the the chatter to kind of justify that stat has been the health or lack of health or lack of experience for members of that secondary. 
Going into this game, can you give our listeners an update on that LSU secondary, and do you expect them to play at a higher level than they've played thus far? Yeah, they've they've given up uh, quite a few coverage busts. Uh, it's a, they've given up six coverage busts in the last five games, and five of those six have gone for touchdowns, and another one went for a first down that turned into a touchdown. And when I say coverage bust, it was you know, five yards or more open. There were a few of them eight to ten yards open. There's been a lot of miscommunication. Uh, you know, Kevin still came over, and he had, a, a you know, a new defense, and it wasn't a complete overhaul from John Chavis' defense, but it was enough where guys had to learn new stuff. And, and I think it has a little more zone to it than man-to-man, and there's been some complete busts and miscommunication, and, and LSU, uh, they really struggled kind of in that, territory, you know, a program that likes to call itself DBU has really struggled there. And, um, you know, they say they fixed it, but, you know, having Jalen Mills back is going to help. Jalen was a a guy who before this season started every single game of his LSU career. He's a senior, and he he got hurt during preseason camp, uh, broke his leg, actually, a leg fracture, and he he just returned to full health about three weeks ago, played a little bit uh, in the game against Florida, played a little more against Western Kentucky before he suffered another injury, but he, he seems to have overcome that, and he's 100% going to the game. So that will help. He's a nickelback. He plays some safety as well. He's going to be really helpful. So that's what they're kind of kind of leaning on, you know. And then, of course, we haven't even mentioned, but Tredavious White is the cornerback, one of LSU's best, uh, you know, preseason kind of all-SEC guy, and uh, he's hurt. And I don't know if he'll play. I would almost list him as doubtful or questionable. And he's a starting cornerback, so – that's kind of something to keep an eye on as well, if he plays or not. Yeah, and Ross, I, I, I agree. I know LSU's had some struggles uh, with their secondary, but I do think the D-line has been better this year under Ed Orgeron, more active. Uh, and I and could give out this Alabama offensive line, which has been really inconsistent, and is going to have Dominic Jackson coming off, uh, you know, ankle surgery with a high ankle sprain. So, there could be some hay made there. Lewis Neal's been very good. Just talk about the progress of this uh, LSU defensive line. Well, they've been the most impressive of anything this year outside of Leonard Fournette. Obviously, we expected a lot from Fournette, not necessarily this. Uh, but but outside of him, uh, this this defensive line has been the most you know surprising, impressive group. They have just gotten so much of a pass rush. Uh, and then in the middle, Devon Godshaw and Christian Lockature have kind of clogged things up. You know, uh, they haven't allowed – you know, I did a story earlier this week, LSU hasn't allowed an opponent's running back to go for more than 66 yards. So they've really kind of clogged that middle. And on the outside, Arden Key, a really highly rated freshman, is there. Lewis Neal on the other side, he's got eight sacks uh, through seven games. And he just kind of came out of nowhere. Three, three-star guys come out of nowhere. I mean, Sean Bauer is kind of their third in that rotates in the game. Those guys have, have really excelled, you know, and, and they've, they've done things that they did not do last year. LSU had 19 sacks all of last year. They have 18 right now through seven games. So uh, they've really improved. And, and I, I know I'm harping on the secondary, Ross, but I have one interesting question. From the Tennessee game, Tennessee chose to defend Alabama by backing their safeties off 20 or 30 yards, which opened up a lot of the underneath stuff that Alabama really feasted on against the Volunteers. 
is LSU a team that does stuff like that, or are they going to push their safeties closer to the box to stop a guy like Derrick Henry and open up some of the deeper throws? Like, how do you see that? How do you see the secondary as it continues to evolve, specifically defending the Crimson Tide? Is it backed off safeties or safeties close to the box? Yeah, I'd really, I'd really um, be surprised if LSU backed off uh, safeties that much. You know, they, they, they're a team that's for a long time. Uh, here have been known for that the whole DBU thing because they play man press coverage. They're up close and personal and physical, and uh, so they're they're. Uh, I would I would doubt they would do that. You know, sometimes they have one high safety kind of far back down the field, but it's rare. You know, they're up up, up close and personal, and they're gonna they're gonna beat you with physical coverage and guys who can play physical man to man coverage, which is you know Kevin Tolliver. Uh, Jalen Mills, we talked about Trey White, if he's healthy. Those guys are really good at the press, physical, hand-to-hand kind of combat coverage, and that's what I would expect. And then, Ross, of course, uh, I think we may be seeing the two best middle linebackers in the SEC overall. Kendall Beckwith is a great player for the Tigers. I think their heartbeat of their defense. Alabama's going to have to try to find a way to reach the second level and get a hat on him. But talk about how Kendall's played. I know there was a lot of expectations going into this year, but – he seems to be playing at a high level. He is. You know, we, we he kind of gets overshadowed by a few guys around the defense, some that I've already mentioned that we didn't necessarily expect a whole lot from and have done well. And so, you know, they get kind of the spotlight because we expected, I think a lot of people expected Keno to do what he's doing. And, and that is just coming up and, and stopping guys. You know, he, he's so good at the vertical running. You, you really, it's just, you just, you can't, or it's tough to run outside on LSU because of him, you know. And then you got Dion Jones, who's back there with him, uh, LSU's uh, linebacker. It's basically those two; those are the main two linebackers, and they're both so fast and so physical. It's just tough to run outside on LSU. And he he's just really done a good job of that. And then with Ed Orgeron coming in, they've done some different things on defensive line, using Dion Jones and Kendall Beckwith in a pass rushing role. And they'll come in. Kendall will come in and line up. He'll stand up running the line. That's kind of a uh, in, in kind of a three four as the what Alabama uses the jack they kind of call it the buck over here he he's a he's a pass rusher so he can he can do it all and, and the last uh, the last unit we haven't talked about is, is both Alabama's and LSU's Achilles heel let's let's just call a spade a spade in this. You look at LSU's statistics, particularly in, like, net punting and kicking, and I've watched some LSU, but to say that I've gone over everything they do with a fine-tooth comb would be a stretch, so I'm just going to straight up ask you, can you explain the complete breakdown for the LSU kicking game outside of Trent Domang, the field goal kicker? Yeah, it's been kind of shocking, and, and, you know, here, just like Alabama, you get four- and five-star guys and and uh, recruits that, that are on the field for for, the, for those units. And a lot of times LSU will take a, a four- or five-star freshman who doesn't see the field, uh, you know, in, on the defense or on the offense, mostly on defense, and, and uh, they'll just put them on special teams. And that, that's kind of what's happened. That's been the, the whole thing here. But um, they've, they've had to do – they've had to go a different way. They've had to put some starters on special teams because, you know, the job's just not getting done, you know. Uh, I mean, LSU started the season really woefully. They've 
they will have given up a kick return for a touchdown and in the punt return for a touchdown. First LSU team to do that in over I think over twenty years or right about twenty years. So it's uh it's a rarity here that, that they've been so poorly and there's really no uh, you know, the 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 finger pointing there's been some finger pointing a little bit, you know, from media about what it is. Everybody wants to know what it is. I mean it's just it's players, you know, kinda of getting out of their lanes on coverage units, not doing a good job with it. And it's also you know, Jamie Keene, the punter, um, Les Miles says, isn't directionally kicking sometimes the way he's supposed to. So it's kind of everything, but it, it's been a whole lot of bad. And Ross, obviously Alabama has been inconsistent as well, but J.K. Scott seems to be rounding into form over the last couple of weeks. Adam Griffith started, you know, terribly, but it's 10 of his last 12. But overall, uh, you've seen this team closely. I know you've watched Alabama from afar. What, just oh, what is your thoughts? I mean, as far as to the keys for LSU to win the game or have and uh, have an opportunity to stay unbeaten. Well, you know, I think in this game, when you look back the last six or seven years, I believe the last five of six years, the winner of the game had the most rushing yards, and and it, it just and you can say that about a lot of SEC games, but especially this matchup. You know, so if LSU's front can stop Derrick Henry. Um, then they probably win the game. You know, if Alabama's front can stop Leonard Fournette or slow Leonard Fournette, they probably win the game. It's just that simple. You know, and if both sides do it, well, I guess then you have to turn to the quarterbacks. And and, and that's kind of a, a big-time wild card there. But whoever whoever's front wins in the trenches and um, can can move guys around and enough to create holes for running lanes, that's just going to win the game. You know, and it just it's it's that simple. You know, it's a physical matchup, a a grinding game against two teams that run the ball and and have fast athletic defenses and uh, whatever whoever's rushing attack can do enough, uh, will probably win. Well, Ross, we really appreciate the time we you've been on with us about twenty five minutes now. We we thank you for uh, calling us tonight and uh, and uh, being with us. We you always bring great information, do a great job covering all LSU athletics. Uh, but we uh, have enjoyed having you on, Bams, and I know our listeners have as well. We look forward to having you on again and down the road. But thank you for taking the time and a, a safe journey to Tuscaloosa, my friend. All right. Thanks, y'all. That's Ross Dellinger, everyone, of the Advocate in Baton Rouge, giving us his take on LSU. Uh, does such a great job covering the Tigers, and uh, he will be uh, covering them for the advocate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or excuse me, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, at Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday night. So, Ross Dellinger doing a great job of, of breaking down LSU positionally, and Thomas is going to be a heck of a matchup. Well, you're absolutely right, Drew. And uh, just to give our listeners an update for the last half hour, it's going to be Drew and I. Carrie had to drop off to handle some business with Scout. Uh, we should be hearing from Big Head Chuck here in a couple of minutes. There's a, another fundraiser I know for list, for our listeners that might have missed it. If you come by the tailgate the past couple of games, we've been doing various fundraisers. I actually don't know what this one's for, so I will I will keep that genie in the bottle. Let, let Chuck tell us about that. But, you know, Drew, you look at this LSU game, and you're absolutely right. I hate to keep throwing superlatives like, oh, it's a heavyweight fight, it's a war, it's a battle, it's a it war. Is. But it, it it absolutely is. If you look at these two teams, I think so I think the thing that needs to be said over and over is if you take the starting 22, both teams, 
starting at 22 players, 11 offense, 11 defense, and you take a completely unbiased coach, a coach that doesn't care that, that one side's wearing LSU uniforms and one side's wearing Alabama, and you say draft your best team, you're going to get a mix of players from both squads. It's one of the few times that the University of Alabama does not have a decided talent advantage at at least one key position. On top of that, what LSU wants to do is what Alabama wants to do. They both want to run the ball. They both want to run to set up the pass and then either crack off a play action or just, you know, take a straight drop deep throw. So both teams are going to be really familiar with each other. And for the first time in a long time, this game truly does come down to absolute just execution. What coaching staff earns their money? I will say, and I've said on this program, I don't think Kevin Steele could coach his way out of a paper bag. (laughs) Um, I think that West Virginia just scored another touchdown on his Clemson team from four years ago. And I would not trust him to draw up proper play calling when the going got tough. Maybe he proves me wrong, but if you're looking at coaching, I do feel like Kevin Steele is a weak link, and I will continue to feel that way until he proves otherwise. But Drew, what are some of the some of the things you see? We have some time before Drew or before Drew before Chuck calls in. What do you see with this game? Because you've already you've already heard my spiel on your show. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I just really believe Alabama uh, is the better team. Uh, you know, uh, we will see. Uh, but I just really, um, you know, I believe that the the tide it, it all comes down uh, to what we talked about throughout this season. And you know, I hate to heart myself, but you know, I've been um, talking about this, you know, throughout and. I just really believe that it's going to be, uh, does Alabama take care of the football? Uh, do, does Lane Kiffin uh, come up with a cohesive game plan offensively? Um, you know, I just I, – honestly, the, uh, the 2011 9-6 overtime losses brought up a lot, and Coach McElwain took some uh, criticism, but that one was just plays left on the field where Alabama didn't execute. Uh, but I've been, you know – critical of Lane Kiffin's game planning and offensive uh, just in his play calling. That's the most, the, the factor that worries me the most. Is Alabama going to attack uh, this uh, LSU defense the way they should? I still think, you know, Derrick Henry is going to be the linchpin of it, but will they get creative in, in using Kenyon Drake? Uh, obviously, uh, I think Jay Coker has gotten more confident. I think they're going to need to mix it up and throw some on first down and, and not just vertically deep, uh, just attack the middle of the field, uh, use some misdirection and some bootlegs. And and, and really, uh, you know, will we see Bo Scarborough? I don't know. Uh, that would be an something that LSU has not, uh, I don't think, prepared for. Uh, but, again, uh, I just think uh, hopefully we'll see some toss. I'd like to see him. I know uh, Ross Dellinger was just talking about it's hard to run outside on LSU, uh, but I still would give him some opportunities uh, with the toss a few times and, and just see what this Alabama offensive line can do, uh, especially with a week off for Cam Robinson, who hopefully will be as healthy as he's been in a while. 
You're absolutely right there. And I want to give a quick shout out, Drew, to something that we haven't talked about and I haven't heard talked about very much on the various talk radio programs. I want to give a shout out to our guy, Play Like a Champion, Champ. Uh, we hope we get to see you this weekend at the uh, BAMS Radio tailgate. But Champ asks us to break down the weather and the rain and the conditions that are supposed to be in Tuscaloosa. When I looked at this, weather report a couple of days ago it was uh it was rough around the edges and i just pulled up the weather.com report as we're sitting here the wizard's back he's put his wizard's hat back on saturday night 47 degrees 90 percent chance of rain (laughs) oh boy so what do you think how's this going to affect the game what's this angle (laughs) well i mean i'm not really worried about the rain uh that now it's going to stink to be sitting out in it, and no disrespect to the fans, I, I feel for them. I will be in the press box. I will be drinking Lord. coffee like uh, a fancy. Yeah, um, but again, that, that it's not fun if you're a fan. But Alabama shouldn't be worried about this. They went. They it can't possibly be any worse than Athens, Georgia. That's and true. so we we saw Jake Coker. He had one lost fumble on a snap, but I thought Alabama handled the rain very very well. Now, it could uh, make both uh, game plans even more uh, conservative, uh, but it's, it's going to come down to turnovers. And if I, I do think that this Alabama defense can pressure Brandon Harris and pressure him into mistakes, and with a wet football, uh, that, makes, uh, that puts even more of a premium on protecting it. Uh, but I expect Alabama to win the turnover battle, and if they win the turnover battle, they're going to win the game. I think you're absolutely right there. LSU has been very good at keeping the football, and if you can knock that away from them, that will take a major part away from their offense. I do want to say uh, we have open lines. If you want to get into the conversation, give us a holler at 714-510-3707. We'd love to hear from you. But, uh, you know, Drew, I'm actually going to take up for the fans in this, what is probably going to be a very cold and wet environment. Because I can remember certain times when I was a student at the University of Alabama where it was just gnarly, you know, not yeah. fun conditions. And I'm not going to tell you why. I'm going to leave that up in the air. But suffice it to say, I was still happily warm and happily yelling. Night game, all day tailgating. <laughs> I think the Bryant, the Bryant Denny Stadium. Yeah. Well, Bryant-Denny Stadium is going to be absolutely rocking. Oh, absolutely. I, I really – I don't I don't think – I think a large majority of the fans are not going to realize that it is cold and rainy. Put it to you that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's some well-known people that I tailgate with. That will probably definitely be the case. Uh, you know, and, and we'll see. I mean, I, I do – I've had people ask me if they thought it would affect the environment or that it would affect, the, you know, the recruits coming to the game. Maybe in a small way, but really, honestly, overall, with the fanaticism of the Alabama fans, uh, with what's at stake in this game, I'm like you, Thomas. It's still going to be a raucous environment like it was at Georgia. Uh, you're still going to have a lot of people there. Uh, you never know. I mean, I've, you know, I have heard other um, weather reports that, uh, that, that it will rain during the day. They think it could get out of there by the start of the game. And as we've as we've seen, Thomas, 
weather can change at the you know a snap of a finger. But and, I think I really think weather rain can just stop. I, I don't know about that, Drew. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I but I do think it is going to be a raucous environment like 2013. Uh, the stadium was moving that day. It was a tremendous environment, and I think it's going to be yet again. Uh, obviously, uh, Leonard Fournette's coming into Bryant Denny Stadium as the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. And if he wins, uh, if LSU wins that game, he'll. Bet, I think the Heisman race is over. Uh, but uh, it's going to be uh, Alabama's chance to, you know, make a statement as well. Uh, and uh, I was listening to Marty Smith on the Paul Feinbaum show today, and he rode to practice with Nick Saban, and he watched film with uh, Jonathan Allen, and he said it was amazing just watching Jonathan Allen and prepare because he said he was even he thought he was watching film with intensity uh so you know it's the the, the alabama is going to be well prepared and uh, there's no secrets between these two schools and it's going to be you know, a fascinating game again no doubt Cert- certainly so and uh it, it will be a charged up environment and i'm sorry I- i'm just i'm going to go straight out on a limb here I think this game is for the SEC West. I know that Ole Miss is both huh. offensively and defensively is getting healthier after a really rough few weeks in October. But if Arkansas is able to run on Ole Miss this weekend, LSU is going to be able to run on Ole Miss in a couple of weeks. And I just I don't think I I, I just don't think they have it. I'm sorry. I feel like this game is for the SEC West and. Until Ole Miss comes out and, to me, upsets LSU, even though Ole Miss is at home, I, I, that's what I'm going to buy into for that. And, and the other thing, uh, I've said this a couple of times on the show, and I've kept looking at it, and I've, I've kind of had this in, the, in my bag of tricks, but uh, the question I, I posed to the Alabama defense is, can the Alabama defense stop the LSU rushing offense with just seven players? They did it last year, obviously – the LSU offensive line is excellent, and Leonard Fournette's a year stronger. But like you said earlier in the show, the Alabama defense is better. I do think that Alabama is going to be able to consistently stop Leonard Fournette with only seven in the box, and it's going to be real tough sledding for that LSU offense. I think it's going to be interesting how that – now here's the question, and Drew, you can absolutely check me if you think I'm going way off the crimson-colored deep end. But uh, how does that ripple ripple affect the game? LSU's offense can't move the ball because Alabama is able to stop Leonard Fournette in the muck. LSU's defense has to continuously fight Alabama's offense. I'm not sure as good as the LSU front seven is, and it is an excellent front seven, but it's young because there's not a lot of depth. Can Alabama wear out the front seven? I think that's certainly on the table. I don't think it's possible to wear out Alabama's front seven. Like I, I know that sounds homerish, and it might not be fair, but it's certainly a situation where if there's a unit on the Alabama football team that won't wear out, it's that front seven. So I'm going to stake my, my, my name and my reputation to I think Alabama can stop Fournette with seven, and that's going to be the real key to Alabama winning the game. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Am, am I going too crimson in my in my in my nightly insanity, Drew? Well, uh, Thomas, I think uh, that's going to be the key, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I think Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster. This is a game they were made for. Uh, this Alabama defensive line It's what I, you know, I've, I've said it on my show this week. It's what I call a money game, uh, no doubt about it. It's 
It's where guys can uh, set themselves up for the NFL draft. I think a year ago we saw Jaron Reed have the performance of his career. I think he ended up with 13, 14, 15 tackles against the Bayou Bengals. Uh, and I know the Houston Texans, Houston Texans were at practice today, and uh, they ranked the uh, Alabama seniors. They, they were really impressed with three of them. I know uh, being Jaron Reed, obviously, uh, and Reggie Ragland, thought they uh, both of those guys had a chance to be big-time players uh, on the next level, no doubt about it. And I know, uh, and I think they will be. I think both those guys are uh, near the top of the country. You know, really, you could argue they're the best players at their positions in college football, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, I, and, and the bottom line is I think Jaron Reed, uh, with his production, has been nearly the best player or defensive lineman in the SEC and maybe in the country. I mean, I, I have heard that said by more than one person. I mean, he's made so many. I mean, he's been averaging anywhere from four to five to six, sometimes seven, eight uh, solo tackles per game for a defensive lineman. That's just unbelievable production. And uh, and then Ryan Kelly, I know he's impressed some pros. Guys, he's taken some criticism, but a lot of times that's because the guards around him haven't done their job. But Again, Reggie Ragland and Jaron Reed, and then juniors, you know, like uh, Reuben Foster, Ashawn Robinson, uh, they can really help themselves. Uh, and uh, we already talked about Eddie Jackson. Uh, you're hoping Eddie Jackson can come back and play another year under Coach Saban and get even better. Uh, Reuben Foster, same way, slide over to the mic and replace Reggie. But uh, these are guys that are big-time players, and uh, we've seen already uh, the impact of, that freshmen can make uh, with Ronnie Harrison and especially Minka Fitzmagic. So, I just really think like I really think this Alabama team is is uh, very talented. I think Jake Coker has made the progress I was hoping he would make, and it's really the reason I like Alabama in the game. I think Alabama overall. We t- we heard Ross Dellinger talk about LSU special teams. I think Alabama special teams have improved and are probably better than LSU's. I just think overall Alabama is the better football team in all three phases. They have the best player uh, in Leonard Fournette, but I think Alabama has the best team. Absolutely, Drew. And uh, we do have a caller. It's not Big Head Chuck on the Big Head Chuck's Barbecue Hotline, but it's a good friend of ours. I'm going to go in and make him live. Play like a champion. You are on Vans Radio. What you got for us tonight? What's going on, fellas? Sorry to disappoint you that I'm not Big Head Chuck, but uh, I'll call and talk <laughs> for a minute while uh, while you're waiting on him. Um, I feel like I'm going to ask the same question I've asked a couple, couple times in the past, but you know, when Derrick Henry carrying the ball 25, 30 times a game, I know the man's awesome, but he is human. We do need somebody to come in and get him rest occasionally. With having a bye week, do you guys think that uh, we figure out a way to incorporate Drake more, or do you think we finally see Bo Scarborough? Well, uh, like a champion, I really think overall that I think Bo could play in the game, but – you know, the way Nick Saban is with this game being with what's at stake and with, with inclement weather being a factor, barring injury, you probably won't see much of both. I think it's going to be Derrick Henry's show. And then I think King and Drake will be involved. I just hope, you know, Lane Kiffin uses him in a creative way. Uh, but, you know, I just really think uh, they're, they're going to dance with who brought them to this point. And I think uh, – but I do think even in the rain – that Alabama can make some plays on this LSU secondary. You heard Ross Dellinger, LSU secondary has struggled some. Uh, you know, they've given up big plays 
you know, and they do have Jalen Mills back. But again, uh, I, I just think plays can be made against these guys, especially if you can get Derrick Henry rolling on first down. But I do hope that Lane Kiffin's creative on first down and can and get Jake Coker some confidence early because you know what you have in Derrick Henry. But if you can build on what uh, the second half of what Jake Coker did against Tennessee, I think that would be big on Saturday. And I'll let uh, Kerry give his thoughts. You might have an issue. I'm not real sure. Kerry, can you got us? I don't know. Do I? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. Well, what I miss? Uh, oh, just champ. Uh, Play like a champion's asking, uh, who's the backup? Do you see Kenyon Drake or Bo Scarborough having an impact against the LSU Tigers on Saturday? Bo Scarborough will not have an impact on anybody this season, but Charleston Southern. <laughs> okay, so to to piggyback on what Drew was saying just now, as far as the passing game, you know, last year we we used Drake a fair amount in the passing game. And this year, it just hasn't been there for one reason or another. Do you think it's just the fact that he hasn't been open? Is it been that we just haven't given him the opportunity? Why do you think we've not seen Drake more in the passing game? Um, that's a great question. I've been calling for it all year. Uh, apparently, he, he must not be doing that great at it in practice. I know that some practices he does work with the wide receivers, but he must not just be tearing it up in practice. Now, I guess the easy thing would be to say, oh, they're saving that for LSU. But my understanding is that Drake's going to play a decent amount of running back against LSU. I think the Drake to wide receiver uh, full-time is out the window now. I think Kenyon Drake is the backup tailback for the rest of the year, and his role has increased on kickoff returns again. But, I I mean, I was was calling for Drake at wide receiver all season, and they haven't done it, and I just don't see him doing it now. I thought there would be a chance when Scarborough got back, that, that he'd get into the running back rotation and they could move Kenyon. But there's no indication at all that Bo Scarborough is going to have any impact on this football team except for the fourth quarter of the Charleston Southern game. End of story. Yeah, I, that's probably how it's going to work out, Champ. I mean, obviously, you know, Bo Scarborough is a talent. Um, I, if he hadn't got injured, I really thought he was going to be the backup to Derrick Henry and they were going to move Kenyon around. But once he got injured, Damian Harris didn't enroll early, and so they decided to roll with uh, Kenyon and uh, and obviously Derrick Henry. And Kenyon, has, I've been just really perplexed at how he's not touched the football more, uh, especially as a receiver. I'm glad they have him back on kickoff return. Now he needs to protect the football, especially in these wet conditions. But I think, uh, as you heard Ross Dellinger say, LSU struggled in their return units and their coverage. I'm hoping maybe this could be his breakout game and he could make a play that would be game-changing and maybe uh, and difference-making and help Alabama win this thing and stay in the thick of the college football playoff. But Alabama has no room for error at all. And that will be great, you know, as far as I'm concerned. I just – I don't want to see – we're totally dependent on just one guy. I'm – I'm so used to seeing the two-back system we've had in place for a while. And, uh, you know, if Drake can do it, and that's awesome. You know, maybe we finally get everything worked out for him. Um, even if it's just <clears throat> bringing, him, <clears throat> bringing him out of the backfield, you know, for <clears throat> a few passes that way or something. But just to get somebody to get in there and give us some meaningful carries, to get some yards, to give uh, Henry a break. But anyways, guys, I'm going to get off here. Appreciate you taking my phone call. <clears throat> Enjoy the show, and I uh, hope to see you guys this weekend real tired.
Roll Tide, champ. Thank you for calling. Huntsville area representing there. I like it. Speaking of Huntsville, Drew, I got a quick question for you. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I was looking at a transcript earlier today of the uh, SEC conference call, and apparently uh, your boss, Steve Moulton, is just monopolizing the questions. Uh, The transcript mentioned, uh, like it was in parentheses and all caps, Third question today, Steve, really? Well, I mean, is that, is that like his hobby, trying to ask the most questions in there? Well, I mean, we did ask um, Steve, uh, when he was on my, we carried live Gus Malzahn's, he did ask two or three questions of Gus Malzahn. Uh, but, uh, you know, Gus Malzahn's usually uh, very, very brief. You don't get a whole lot of information. And uh, we were just trying to see uh, if we could get any, any shed any new light from Gus. But, I didn't listen to the rest of it. I know he he uh, was recording and monitoring the uh, the rest of the telecallers, but that's the situation with uh, with uh, Gus Malzahn. I'm talking about the saving part of it. Oh well, I didn't listen to the saving. I I usually don't take part in that. Uh, it's it's earlier than my show. I'm usually prepping for my show. He usually he'll use those questions and answers for uh, the drive, but I did not hear what he said. Okay, no, it's just the fact that he got in three questions just on paper, and it was blowing people's minds. But anyway, roll tide, Steve, Georgia Bulldogs, whatever. So, like Malzahn, do uh, don't you feel like he probably has one more year? Yeah, I think they'll give him one more year. He's just gonna they'll probably make him tweak his staff again. They took a junior college quarterback today, James Franklin the third, and he's uh, the buyout's eleven million. And to be blunt, I don't think Auburn can uh, can uh, afford to do anything with him. I agree. I heard it was nine and a half or eleven makes even more sense. But I think it drops dramatically next year. And uh mighty name for their you know, for their team this year anyway, their team, is is kind of a takeoff on the old Leonard's uh Leonard's Loser show. I'm now calling them uh, Arthur Gustav choking chickens. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I do think they'll lose this week. But I'll tell you what, Drew, uh but based on what I've seen recently and heard as well. I'm not so sure Auburn's not going to beat Georgia. Well, they might. Uh, Georgia wasn't very good last week, and uh, uh, and uh, they have having severe quarterback issues, and I think there's a lot of dysfunction in that program. But I definitely think that being in Auburn, I think Auburn has a good shot, but they're going to have to beat A&M uh, this week uh, if they want to have a winning season. Uh, I do think it's going to be tough against Alabama, and they'll beat Idaho. But if they want to go 7-5, and five, they need to win College Station. I don't, I don't see them winning that game. Not not as good as Murray looked last week, and and the fact that it's at home, and uh, I, I just I, I think they're seeing it six and six, and if Georgia writes the ship, it's more like five and seven. My question for Greg Sankey is this, though, the new SEC commissioner: If they do go six and six, do you man up and force them to go to Birmingham, or do you let them whine like your predecessor did and, and let them go to? Texas or Shreveport or something else. I, I really wish he would make them go to Birmingham because their fan base, especially the over 40 ones, hate Legion Field with a passion. And to me, I would rather see them go to Legion Field than finish 5-7. and seven. I hate to say that, but it would just be such a humiliation for Arthur Gustav's choking chickens. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't really concern myself with where Auburn's going to go as far as bowl if they get to one, great. If not, wherever. I just hope Alabama takes care of business in the Iron Bowl and 
puts uh, you know puts all in where they need to be and takes care of them. Uh, Alabama, when with Nick Saban at the helm, uh, Auburn's had a few shining moments, but they've been few and far between. The tide is uh, definitely as long as Nick Saban's in the uh, coach's office. I was asked this week about coaching changes and you know if uh, what uh, what would happen with Alabama if they've lost more coaches than they've lost in the recent past and. His staff's never come back intact in the nine years he's been at Alabama. It won't this year. Uh, they might even lose both coordinators. If Kirby, I think if Kirby Smart, uh, I will say this, I think it's more likely that he'll move on this year than ever. But if not, I think he could be there for good, uh, though he will not, in my opinion, be elevated to head coach. Alabama's not a situation where you learn on the job. So if he wants a chance at the Alabama job, I think he would move on somewhere else. Um, but, you know, I really think that as long as Saban's there, you don't have to worry about it. He's going to put together a great staff. Alabama's going to be in the thick of things nationally, and they're still good. It's not going to affect recruiting. Uh, they will recruit at the highest level, as they always have since Coach Saban has been there. So the bottom line is I had someone ask me today if I thought Saban was going to go to the Colts. Disagree with that 100%. What a joke. I think he's going to uh, retire at Alabama. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see what the coaching staff looks like next year. And I do think uh, we, I love the uh, what the tweaks to the defensive staff this past year. And uh, I think they'll be going in a new direction offensively. I mean, they'll still be a pro style, but it'll be a new play card and a new quarterback coach in OC. And it'll be fascinating to see who it is. But I just hope Wayne Kiffin, uh, speaking of the present, uh, can finish up strong this year. I think he's shown that he can put together a good plan with this group and uh, they're going to need one Saturday against LSU. Yeah, it includes pounding the ball, I'm sure. But the occasional play action, if Calvin really has become a weapon, our Derek Stewart has shown flashes of, of greatness, especially against Tennessee. So uh, I don't think you can be one-dimensional against LSU. I think you got to do just enough to keep them out of the box. But, uh, you know, playing three wide receivers takes one guy out of the box. So there's ways around it. But uh, I'm looking for a big night for Derrick Henry Saturday. I've, I've got a good feeling for that young man. And a lot of people do, Kerry. They think he's going to have a big game with Rodney Orr, a friend of this show, really thinks that he's biding his time. He knows everybody's talking about Fournette. He thinks that Henry could be in for a big night, and I do as well. And, and uh, but we'll see. And, and I want to find out uh, from uh, the number one caller to this show, Colin Big C. McGuire is on hold. Uh, Colin, uh, Big C, what do you think about the game uh, this Saturday night? I think we're going to win. Uh, if we win the turnover battle, we'll definitely pull it off. Um, how bad is it supposed to be raining Saturday up there? Is it going to be raining all day long, or is it going to quit before game time, or what? Or do y'all know on that? Well, it's not looking good right now. I can let Thomas Watts tell. I thought Thomas has been yeah. looking. Uh, I just looked at it, Big C, and it, according to this is weather.com, uh, 90% chance of rain, 47 degrees Saturday night going to be cold and miserable. Bring your, uh, let's call them lubricants. Yeah. Oh, that's 2,000 iron bowl weather. I hate that. Although, I think we'll have a different result. That was a bad game there. That was pretty brutal there. That All the way around from the weather standpoint and the playing standpoint. But I, I think we'll do a lot, lot better than that against this bunch. So, there is something to play for. They, they were... Just trying to finish out the season that day. But anyway, but I think we'll win. I'm picking like 27 to 20. Maybe it'll be worse than that. I hope it is. What do y'all think? 
Well, Dixie, I think Alabama's going to win the game. I think they're the best all-around football team. I do think LSU's had a great run uh, thus far, but I don't think they played anyone as good as Alabama. And uh, I think if Alabama, uh, you know, gets a good plan uh, from Lane Kiffin, I think uh, that that there's no doubt that they can – it just comes down to turnovers. Uh, You know, Alabama hasn't played really well at home. A lot of people are playing that up. Uh, you know, they have been sloppy at times with the football at home, and the rain is disconcerting a little bit, but they played really well in a rainy environment in Athens, Georgia. And I, there's no way they're not going to be ready to play LSU. I know LSU will also be ready to play Alabama. I'm still – I know Brandon Harris has improved, no doubt about it. I'm still not sold on him completely, and I think Alabama can force him into mistakes and then find a way to win a tight game. Well, he hadn't thrown an interception yet, so it's his it's, it's time to do that. Well, I, bet yeah, he won, absolutely. I bet he'll throw one seventy, big two. I bet he will. Maybe more than that, uh, but I'm going to say more. Yep. But now that. I, 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 he didn't play defense like this yet. What now? He hadn't played defense like this yet. Oh, no. Oh, no. Florida, Florida was fairly close, but they're not quite Alabama. No, they're pretty good, but. No, that's going to be. um. I just see them pulling it off because uh, the guy. I mean, uh, it's do or die each game now. I mean, just lose your out. I just think they're going to be able to handle that. Yeah, well, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting, Big C, because and I go back to the fact that you know, I, and I may regret it, but Kevin Steele is a uh, a pretty good football coach, a good recruiter, but I don't think he's a great defensive coordinator. I know he knows the Alabama program well, but they know him well also. And I, Coach Orgeron has improved the D-line. They've got Kendall Beckwith, who's a really good football player. But I think they, there's going to be plays there to be made. Uh, with Derrick Henry, I think Henry can have a nice game and get 100-plus, and it should open up uh, you know, the passing game. I really like how the game Ardarius Stewart's coming off of. He should be playing with confidence. Obviously, Calvin Ridley uh, is a, is a big-time playmaker, Mulaney. Is a is is a solid uh, security blanket for Jay Coker, and then seven catches in his last game for OJ Howard. So I just think Alabama has even more weapons than LSU, and if they can, and I think if they if they spread the ball around and Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, runs the football, can keeps the formula the twenty to twenty five passes for Jay Coker, and then uses mm-hmm. bootlegs and some misdirection, I think uh, the LSU can be had. Yep. Yep. You're selling me on the idea. I think they got they can be had also. Big C, Absolutely. Yeah. Big C, I think we talked about this a few months ago, but let's revisit it again. Uh, you had a chance to manage a, a, a very rainy Alabama LSU game in 1979 oh, in Baton Rouge. Oh. What do you remember yeah. about that game and how y'all kept the balls dry and all? Oh, man. Well, I tried to keep them dry, but it was on, I was on – sideline by myself, so I had a hard time doing that. But we tried our best from a work standpoint. That was the road trip going down there was fun. The work standpoint caused all the the wet conditions and trying to keep the balls dry well to me was the least enjoyable game I worked up there because of the conditions. And it was a hard, I was having a hard time keeping them dry and I was on by myself on the L S sideline that night. But we pulled it out. Yeah, we pulled it out. The final score was sweet to nothing. Uh, Alabama on an Allen McElroy field goal, uh, 
who was a straight ahead kicker, by the way. But uh, was there ever a point in that ball game, Big C, when you thought we might lose? Not really, because they didn't get any further than that forty yard line. And the closest thing they, I'll have to say this. I remember there was one play they threw a long pass to. What was his name? His name was, was it Carlos Carson. I think was his name. And uh, Ricky Tucker batted it out of the way from him. He was that was a big play there that a lot of people probably don't know or remember. But I mean, we moved the ball on them. We just couldn't. We missed field goals, and then also got inside the. Uh, in yard line and Stedman fumbled and they recovered it. So, I mean, it was just um, we was moving the ball on them but just couldn't, uh, couldn't turn it and get it over the goal line or what. I mean, that game could have been like a 16 to nothing game, which would have, we dominated them statistically just on the scoreboard, which counts the most didn't do that. But didn't we also miss some field goals? He missed, Agroy missed two field goals. He he went one for three that night. And did they try any field goals? They never got. If they no. didn't get our forty, no. I guess they did. No, uh, they, the closest they got was uh, our forty. You know, people talk about the '92 defense and the '09 and the '11 and the '12, but I tell you what, that that '79 team had a hell of a defense this year. It sure did. Intercepted twenty-five passes that year. Yeah, that's good. Well, I guess we probably need to uh, get close to wrapping things up. Have you got one final question for us, Big C? Um, let me think. Um, well, I will uh, tell you this, Big C. Uh, it looks like uh, all the injured guys, Eddie Jackson, uh, it's of course, at safety, uh, Ronnie Harrison at dime, and then, of course, the most important, Dominic Jackson at right tackle are good to go. They're going to play. Uh, so Alabama yeah. should have a fully loaded gun and – We'll see, but I, I like Alabama 24-17. I know Thomas likes them 27-21. Uh, Kerry also 24-17. What's your score prediction? 27-20. Got uh, you. Okay, well, that's a, that's a good score, Big C. We're all in the same neighborhood. So, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I guess uh, I guess we need to kind of go ahead and wrap things up here at BAMS Radio. But uh, I'll tell you what I'll let you do, Big C, since we hadn't done it in a few weeks. Go ahead and tell them how they can listen to you and see you on Internet TV. All right, go to www.jockjive.com and go to the Big C, Talk Sports Big C tab. I'm not subscribing. It's $8.99 a year, but do that, and you'll be able to watch me anytime. Thank you for your right. time. See you. Thank you, sir. That's Colin Big C. McGuire at Oil Caller the Show. Colin Greenville, Alabama, former national championship manager. We're going to wrap it up. This edition of Bams Radio. Signing uh, it off. I'm Colo Stewart Clark. I'm the Magnum. For Drew Charmer of ESPN 97.7 and Top Fox Touchdown Magazine. Good night and roll tide. Thank you for listening to Bams Radio and this is Bams Radio. Roll tide, everyone. Get better, never big.